The views expressed on this episode of My Take Radio do not reflect the views, thoughts, or feelings of the My Take Radio staff, My Take Radio advertisers, or My Take Radio content partners. Listener and viewer discretion is advised. This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. Had to throw a little Godzilla in there a little bit. What's going on, guys? My Take Radio, episode 229 for Thursday, May 22nd, 2014. I'm your host, Rich, and our caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number 347-324-3541. If you're turning, if you're tuning into My Take Radio for the first time, My Take Radio is a variety program covering Mixed martial arts, professional wrestling, video games, and entertainment. We take listener calls, and as always, MTR is rated M for mature. All right, so we got so much on deck this week, so much. Um, of course, we got Memorial Day weekend around the corner. We got lots of content on the site. Um, just a ton of great stuff going on with the show this week. So let's get the ball rolling with some housekeeping. First and foremost, My Take Radio broke 1,500 downloads thus far for the month of May. Uh, Slick is telling me that I have no video. Let's see what the deal is. No, I got video here. Try uh, refreshing, Slick, on your end. Let me know, because I got video here. Note to self, mute my phone. Let's see what he says. I got video here. Video's running on all cylinders. Uh, Do you guys in the chat got video? Just uh, let me know, please. Huh, content not available. Mortis says he sees video. Huh, strange. I don't know, Slick. Keep me posted. Ah, thank you, Mortis. Thank you. I got a story about this shirt. Anyway, as I was saying, My Take Radio broke 1,500 downloads this week. I want to take the opportunity to thank all the people that work with us that put out tons of content and put in tons of work behind the scenes. Uh, slick for dialing it in every week and toughing it out until 2, 3 o'clock in the morning on some nights. Also, of course, you guys for downloading, retweeting, and, and doing everything possible to support the show, and we really appreciate it. So we broke 1,500 downloads. We got two episodes left for the month of May. The goal right now is to break 2,000, which is nice. Uh, 2,000 episodes is definitely the way to go. Uh, Mortis is telling me that there is video lag. Maybe I got something open here that shouldn't be. So let me close out a couple of things that don't need to be running right now, and uh, maybe that'll work better. Anyway, so... 
you know, 2,000 downloads is the target for this month. And based on what we've been doing and all the people that have been hitting us up with a lot of feedback, it's it's definitely going to happen. Speaking of which, uh, we did get some emails I want to get into and I want to discuss. Uh, but first, before we even get into that, uh, a couple of things. As always, you can use the call-in number 347-324-3541 to listen to the show. You can also listen to the show live on mtrlive.com as well as watch video on mtrlive.com or gfqlive.tv. If you prefer the audio feed, you can use the Mixler feed, which is high-quality audio, M-I-X-L-R forward slash My Take Radio. And, of course, there is always the Blog Talk radio feed as well. If you want to listen via your phone, you can use that call number. Just don't hit option one, and you will not be entered into the caller queue. So got to get that out of the way. So got a couple of announcements. We added some new T-shirts to the MTR store. We added a brand new Brawling for Boobies T-shirt with the Brawling for Boobies logo, which I actually thought I had added when we started to plan the event. And for some reason, it didn't take. But we did add male and female shirts. We added a tank top for the ladies, a T-shirt for the fellas. And we also added a buried T-shirt. Keep calm and get buried. I figured you guys would appreciate that, of course. You can check that out at the My Take Radio Tees uh, tab on MyTakeRadio.com or MyTakeRadioTees.Spreadshirt.com to check those out. Uh, very decently priced at 20 bucks. For those of you that have messaged me complaining about prices, a couple of things you got to note. Spreadshirt handles everything for us. Uh, design, delivery, order fulfillment, everything. All I do is provide the designs. They handle all the legwork, so... You know, those guys got to get paid. If if I were the one doing it, sure, they'd be priced a little better, but you guys pay 20 bucks for t-shirts in other places, so you guys can do that if you choose. Um, of course, our Patreon has been off to a, a pretty decent start. I got to thank um, our first Patreon, which is Javon Lewis. Javon Lewis is a longtime listener of the show, extremely supportive, super vocal, always reaches out on Twitter. Um, he actually started with the first Patreon tier. So I want to take the opportunity and thank Javon for his contribution and definitely doing his part to help MTR on a weekly basis. So got to put that out there as well. We got a lot of content on mytakeradio.com this week. Uh, There's going to be a new House of Glory recap for the House of Glory high intensity event that Jay covered that should be up between later tonight and early tomorrow. In addition to that, we put up a brand new trailer for Transformers, um, the Dark Spark with uh, Bruticus, which I actually posted that early uh, early this morning slash late last night. Also a brand new review from Slick for Amazing Spider-Man 2, the movie tie-in game. Check it out. If you're on the fence about picking the game up, see what Slick has to say and see if it's worthy of your cash. Also, brand new trailer for Arkham Knight is on the site. Uh, breakdown for an upcoming game called Juju that Slick is covering. Also, our interview with the Fat Startup, which I got to say, uh, very, very happy with the way that interview came out. Very, very pumped with all the great feedback we've got. Uh, the guys from the Fat Startup, they're tremendously talented individuals. They actually got an event going on right now that I wish I could have attended, but obviously uh, prior commitments uh, kind of overlapped with regards to that, but definitely uh, wishing those guys the best of luck tonight, and hopefully we'll be doing more stuff with the Fat Startup in the near future. We're also working on two reviews. Uh, we're going to interview uh, reviews, excuse me, interviews. I'm going to be interviewing Jason Ferruja, uh, hopefully sometime in June, and I also got a couple of other interviews on deck as well. Speaking of the month of June, we have uh, 
bit of a different show schedule that week uh, just because, well, that month, just because we're going to be covering Consumer Electronics Week. So I believe that that week, which is the week of the 24th, uh, there probably will not be a live show. If anything, you'll be seeing a lot of content from Consumer Electronics Week. In the event I do, I decide to do a show, it's probably going to be pre-recorded. But as always, uh, keep an eye out on our Facebook fan page, facebook.com forward slash radio or at MyTakeRadio on Twitter for any details or any changes. All right. Last but not least, Godzilla reviews are up. Obviously, Slick's review's been out and a lot of people have been loving that review a lot of retweets a lot of likes on facebook so definitely solid work from slick uh we also got a godzilla review from the rightist which also got a lot of great feedback plus my review is up on the site as well feel free to check them out if you want if you haven't seen godzilla yet and you're unsure any of our reviews will definitely give you the answers you seek all right so what's on deck for tonight We're going to be talking about the Bellator event from this past weekend. We got WWE news. We got a breakdown. We got some gaming news we got to discuss. And of course, the week's entertainment news. But before we get into that, just wanted to get into a little bit of a monologue for this week. Got to talk about two things in particular. The first is um, an email I got from a guy named Zeke. Uh, with regards to a Child's Play charity fundraiser that he will be doing this coming Friday. Um, He runs a comedy gaming site called Iron Man Mode, and he is going to be doing a 72-hour nonstop live stream over the weekend. And, of course, they're trying to hit a charity target goal. We're going to be providing the links for that in the show notes, and you guys can check that out if you guys want to donate or leave any commentary, definitely check it out. But of course, if you want further details, head over to ironmanmode.com. That'll give you all the information you seek. I'll throw a quick uh, quick reminder for that event in the gaming segment for this week. All right, so got to get into some emails I got this week. Uh, the first email I got was actually with regards to Patreon uh, from a guy named Rob. He said, um, I saw your Patreon and I was wondering why you decided to do that and not do a donate button. I figure the donate button would be easier because it would be right on the site and people could donate versus sending them to someplace else. Well, the reason I decided to go with Patreon versus the standard donate button is because the donate button, we had it on the site and it was it was all right. You know, it was it was cool. And some people donated, but the Patreon just is a bit more streamlined, easier to monitor, and people can be rewarded for their contributions, whether it's on-air mentions or maybe being included in the credits at the close of a show. Maybe if we get some other stuff to give away, we'll throw that in a tier as well. Just different things. So if you're curious about why we went with the Patreon versus the donate button, that should answer your question. I will say this, uh, Patreon is a pretty cool service. A lot of guys that I know, um, even our friends at VGN um, are running great campaigns for their shows and they're able to offset some of the costs associated with it. And that's the reason why I decided to do it. Um, You know, we're doing a lot of hardware upgrades, a lot of traveling to events, a lot of event coverage. And as always, you know, these things, they, they cost money. So Again, it's it's not mandatory. Nobody's putting a gun to your head. But if you want to participate, feel free to do so. Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash my take radio. And you guys can see the different donation tiers. You can do as little as a dollar an episode or five bucks to be included in post show credits. Whatever the case is, those are the two tiers we're setting up so far. Easy, painless and best of all, 
not hard on your pockets. So there you have it. I figured I'd answer that on air. All right. So let's get into the week's MMA news because it was a wild, wild night this past Saturday with the Bellator event. And I was pleasantly surprised with certain outcomes, but some things didn't surprise me just because of the participants involved. So let's get to it, shall we? So rather than go through the entire card, what I ended up doing was actually watching some highlights because I wasn't home and I kind of felt that the the Bellator pay-per-view, and I discussed this with Ben earlier today, was not a pay-per-view that you wanted to pay $50 for. So I ended up watching the highlights and then a friend of mine actually sent me uh, the video and I got to actually watch some of the fights. Uh, one of the fights that got my attention, Shabalat Shamalaev taking off Fabricio Guerrero, went at a catchweight bout. Uh, Guerrero missed weight for this fight, which was unfortunate because Fabricio Guerrero actually won the fight with a Kimura. I was like, wow, dude, you come in overweight and then you go in, you lose part of your purse, but yet you still beat the guy via submission in the first round. I was a little pissed off that so many people um, missed weight. Uh, Nate Jolly, Marcin Held, another fight that was fought at catchweight. That was um, no shocker to anybody. Marcin Held once again taking the victory via submission with an arm bar in the first round. Now, of course, on the heavyweight side of things, Czech Congo, Eric Smith, definitely no catchweight there. Uh, Czech Congo secured a victory in the second round with a beautiful TKO stoppage. Uh, Congo definitely liked to work a lot of the punches, working his striking game in there. Uh, solid performance on his part and definitely um, another a marquee win for the Frenchman as he makes a run for the heavyweight title. Now, one of the things that that got me with this card, which really, um, which really bent me out of shape, was Alexander Shlomenko and Tito Ortiz. Now, this fight was being contested at light heavyweight. Alexander Shlomenko fights at 185. He came up to 205, 205 to fight Tito. Now, the funny thing about catchweight fights is that. Well, not even catchweight, but fights where guys come up and wait. Guys that are seasoned fighters, guys like Tito, they come to the scale at 205. Then by the time fight time comes around, they come to the cage at 220, 225, maybe a little heavier. Um, Alexander Shlomenko went up to 200 pounds from 185. He didn't even get close to 205 from what what I remember from the weigh-ins. He came in around 201, 202. So in in essence, you were it was a light heavyweight fighting a blown-up middleweight. And the funny thing about this is that Tito came in and he looked he looked pretty solid. Shlomenko, though, you could see that there was a substantial size difference between both guys. Uh, Tito, of course, went to work for the takedown and secured the takedown, at which point, get this, Tito wins the fight with an arm triangle choke. Alexander Shlomenko was choked out. Now, of course, Tito gets on the mic, he's back, blah, blah, blah. He cuts a a crazy post-fight promo talking about, you know, he's going to be a force in the light heavyweight division, blah, blah, blah. Just, it was, it was really crazy. And it's funny because people were, were, um, you know, people were reaching out to me and they were saying like, yo, when was the last time Tito Ortiz won a fight? So the, the crazy thing was that 
Tito Ortiz won that fight and people couldn't even be happy for him because he couldn't be like, you know, it's a long road back, etc. He couldn't be humble in his victory. He had to be extra uh, WWE style promo with it, which was a little off, you know, a little off putting. But I'm a Tito Ortiz fan. I'm glad he's back on a winning streak. But the, the real question is, all right, you beat a guy that fights at middleweight and came up to 205. What are you going to do against other 205ers? Therein lies the real question. It's not so much, oh, you know, I beat Alexander Shlomenko. You beat a guy that fights at 185. You got to fight King Mo. You got to fight Rampage. You know, you got to fight the hitters of the light heavyweight division. You know, you beat a guy that was essentially a blown up middleweight. No disrespect to Alexander Shlomenko. The guy is a champion at 185, but coming in there against Tito and Tito getting, um, you know, Tito getting the victory and celebrating like it was the second coming, like he just got the the tablets for the Ten Commandments, just the, the shit didn't work. It just did not work. But, you know, to each his own. I'm happy Tito won. I'm just not happy with the the overblown reaction that he had to the victory because he hadn't won a fight in fucking ages. But what can you do? Uh, we had an interim lightweight title bout since, of course, the champion was injured. The injury bug running rampant in Bellator. Michael Chandler, Will Brooks for the interim title. Um, funny thing was, Will Brooks took the fight via split decision in a very, very, very close fight. Now, of course, the, the crazy thing about this is Chandler, um, you know, Michael Chandler, Eddie Alvarez 3. What happens to that? Will Will Brooks fight Eddie Alvarez to unify the belts or is Bellator going to go and decide to still do the fight with Chandler and Eddie Alvarez anyway. Now, of course, Alvarez is, I think he's one or two fights away from finishing out his contract in Bellator, so he's really, really going to probably, he's almost certainly going to make the jump to the UFC. I would not be shocked if, you know, even if he fights Eddie Alvarez, I mean, if he fights Michael Chandler, and after that fight, even if he retains the belt, I wouldn't be shocked if he vacates the title and goes on to fight in the UFC would not be shocked in the least. So let's talk about the light heavyweight bout. The main event, uh, Quentin rampage Jackson taking on King Mo battle of the part-time TNA superstars battle of the U S UFC castoffs, which is unfortunate. Here's a couple of things. I'm a huge rampage fan. This goes back to the pride days where I'd watch, where I try to get pride tapes and watch them at just to see rampage and Vanderlei Silva fights. That's just how it was. So I'm a big Rampage fan, but I also am a realist, and I know that Rampage's fighting style has really just, not to say that it hasn't evolved, but it's not where it used to be, where the guy would use his wrestling and his striking. Now he's all about just trying to go out there, swing for the fences, and he's not using any wrestling, and then he gets mad when dudes try to take him out uh, with wrestling. You know, it's crazy. It bothers me, but what can you do? So... The fight itself, I, I really felt that it was an extremely close fight, but I did feel that King Mo was the aggressor. Now, the thing that bothers me about this fight is not so much the fact that King Mo was the aggressor or that Rampage won the fight, mind you, via unanimous decision, but it's that word, right? The, you know, those two words, unanimous decision, that bothered me with this fight because you got to think about it. These guys, they go in there and yeah, King Mo had more damage, but rampage you know king mo was the aggressor uh especially in the first round rampage you know he he kind of started getting his range in that second round but the third round i almost felt like it should have gone to king mo and the fact that the fight ended via unanimous decision it's it's fucking ridiculous it really it really pissed me off 
And um, obviously, a rematch is a no-brainer. The um, the beauty of this fight wasn't even the fight itself, but um, it's it, it's the thing where the money's in the rematch and what happened post-fight was more interesting than the fight itself. And this was because King Mo, during the post-fight interview, said that Bjorn Rebney was a, a rampage dick rider. That's exactly what he said in his post-fight interview. He said that he, you know, he was on Rampage's nuts and, um, you know, he wasn't supporting him. And it was it was really, really crazy what how that went down because it's not every day you see a guy tell the promoter, pretty much call the promoter a dick rider on, on national television. So it, it was crazy. It was exactly what you would expect from Bellator at this point. A couple of things bother me about this. Obviously, King Mo being upset is understandable, but, you know, dropping a disparaging remark like that on national television, it's just, it doesn't do you any favors. I don't disagree that Bjorn Rebney definitely hopping on the Rampage bandwagon, but still, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, and above all, you gotta maintain an air of professionalism. So that kind of bugged me, and in addition to that, I really did feel that King Mo took that fight and... You know, Rampage got a gift because the fight was in Tennessee and, you know, he was the hometown boy. So the commission, like I said, when it comes to title matches, grudge matches, don't let it go to the judges. Because when you let it go to the judges and it's a close fight, most times the guys, they lose. And then there's a cloud of of uncertainty or a cloud of bullshit surrounding that. So overall, the pay-per-view was okay. Was it worth Pay-per-view money? Absolutely not. I think that they would have got a better turnout if they would have gone with the show on Spike TV. Just because people weren't going to pay $50 for an interim title fight and a fight between two guys that even though one of them is going to be challenging for a belt, it's just not a $60 card. It's really not. And and it really bummed me out that they decided to go that route. That's all I got to say, man. I was, you know, I was, I was really let down by the way that entire card played out, but there but there were some good fights. It wasn't a, a steaming, steaming pile of shit. That I that much I do gotta say. Alright, so let's get into the uh this week's MMA news, which are brought to you by MMA Warehouse. Make sure to check out our banners on mytakeradio.com for MMAwarehouse.com. Get the latest rash guards, uh training gear, and of course your favorite fighter tees at MMAwarehouse.com. I see a lot of guys are um in the chat room telling me about issues with the video. I recommend there's a couple of different streams that GFQ runs. If the Ustream feed isn't working, try switching to one of the other feeds. If not, you can always just listen to the audio version. I see Jay says that the video I have is German porn. Is that wrong? I think you might be on the wrong site, Jay. I think you may need to switch windows. (laughs) Anyway, let's get into this week's news. So, a uh, very, very scary situation for Mauricio Shogun Hua recently as he was actually robbed at gunpoint in Brazil. It was really crazy. Um, they were doing a shoot, I believe, for the um, Venom gear and they were attacked by mass gunmen, robbed, and pretty much le- they took um, Shogun's wallet, his phone, everything. They just, you know, four guys with guns jumped out and robbed him and his party of of all the usuals. It was it was crazy. I was I was not only shocked, but this is the kind of stuff that, you know, you you don't hear about often and for some reason I've read on a couple of different message boards about the situation and on Reddit, 
that people are saying that this kind of stuff in Brazil, especially with athletes, is pretty commonplace. Now, if you're living in a country where you can't walk down a block without worried about a, a carload of mass gunmen with automatic weapons robbing you blind, I think it might be time for a change of venue. I mean, you know, uh, Shogun, Shogun's a talented guy and... Um, you know, accidents happen. It might be a day where you get robbed at gunpoint. All of a sudden, you try to be the hero and you get shot for your troubles. It's crazy. Now, Jay is saying Brazil is very poor. They would rob their own president. Here's the thing: Brazil, from what I, from what I, from what I've been seeing, is supposed to be hosting. I believe it's the Olympics or the World Cup. Uh, no, I think I am. Am I correct in saying it's the World Cup, guys, or or is it the Olympics? Either way, they're hosting one of the two events. And what they've been doing is they've been putting up pictures of the progress that they're supposed to have for for this event. I believe it's the Olympics. And it's just, you know, polluted water. Um, uh, the stadium, the, the area where the stadium's supposed to be isn't clean, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's just a, 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 a really, really sad situation. And this goes back to what I've said with um, them wanting to do the Olympics here in New York City. Every time they talk about doing the Olympics here in New York City, I say the same thing. As much as it would be great for our city, there's just certain things that our city is not capable of handling. And I think the Olympics is one of those things. Same thing with Brazil or countries where there's, you know, high crime incidences or just just a, a decreased level of poverty. Listen, where there's no money, where there's poverty, crime runs rampant. And sometimes it's crime that's, that's out of this world in most cases. Ah, thank you, Mortis. Thank you. Olympics 2016 in Rio. So think about this. You're you're having the Olympics in Rio, and um, they're nowhere near ready. If you, if you guys want to see some crazy shit, go to Yahoo and punch in um, 2016 Olympics or or Rio uh, Rio Olympics because they have uh, uh, screenshots and a slideshow. Of just, oh, this is where they're supposed to be doing all the boat races. Or this is where they're supposed to be doing all the swimming. And there's like garbage and and shit just floating in the water. And it's like, athletes gotta swim in this. And this is the kind of stuff I'm saying where even here in New York, like, New York has its fair share of stadiums. Excuse me. Stadiums and different venues to do stuff. But, come on, nobody's gonna go swimming in the Hudson River. It's not happening. Nobody's going to go swimming off Roosevelt Island. It's not happening. And this is the kind of shit I'm talking about. It's it's ridiculous. It's really, really uh, crazy that this stuff is going on. You know, I'm glad that, that Shogun didn't get hurt. But, you know, it, it's crazy that the only time that this city may be safe is during the Olympics or, or you know, during World Cup, which is what I thought was going to go down. And it, it's insane. It's like it, this this city should be a lot safer without having to have a huge event as the, you know, as the foundation for that. But, hey, that you know, certain parts of the world aren't as beneficial as here in the States. And sometimes people even complain about all the, the shit they get away with here. So what can be done? So you'd be you'd be a little shocked to, to hear this name mentioned in the MMA segment. But the name I'm about to mention is one Jim Ross. Now, you're probably asking yourself, why is Jim Ross being talked about in the MMA segment? Well, it looks like Jim Ross may be in the running for a job with the UFC. Now, the question is, is he going to be involved directly or is he going to be doing stuff for Fight Pass? From what I gather, he he 
gave a, he alluded to a little bit on an interview he did with the Matthew Aaron show, but he also was going to show up on UFC tonight as well. I didn't get to see it. I got to see if it's available online, but Jim Ross is a tremendous talent, regardless of whether you love him or hate him. This is a guy that's been the voice of professional wrestling and a voice of many great moments during during my time as a wrestling fan. So it'd be interesting to hear him call MMA, you know, especially because he'd have to really, really, really get familiar with the sport. But Jim Ross is a, is a consummate professional, and I wouldn't be shocked if he's involved in, in a broadcast capacity and he nails it because he's a, a tremendous talent. I'd love to see Jim Ross and Joe Rogan doing commentary. Because it would probably be ridiculous. Just Joe Rogan going on into the technical aspects and talking about weirdness. And Jim Ross, oh my God, look at that Peruvian necktie. I think he's dead. Ref better step in. One, two, that son of a bitch. <laughs> you know, like I would, I'd love to see that. I'd love to see just Jim Ross call in like a real high profile MMA fight and have it end in like super brutal fashion. Um, Jay says, Kimura, Kimura, oh my God, it's a slobber knocker. Oh, it would be tremendous. I, I'd, I'd love to see it. But uh, again, it, it's definitely going to be something that we will be keeping an eye on. And of course, once we hear more, we will share it with you guys. Another name showing up in this week's MMA segment is a guy who I haven't talked about in quite some time. And that is one Ken Shamrock. Last time I talked about Ken Shamrock, I was talking about him being a bodyguard for 50 Cent. Turns out that Ken Shamrock and Dana White have actually settled their differences. It seems that um, TMZ reported on this story and the, both of them had a, a telephone call roughly about an hour and they settled their differences. Uh, Dana White told TMZ, Ken Shamrock and I spoke and we have squashed our beef. So whatever beef they had has been squashed and I'm sure we may start seeing Ken Shamrock mentioned on UFC programming again. So we'll see how it goes. I, you know, Ken Shamrock's always been an entertaining guy. I think his run in the WWE was was pretty solid. I think his career in MMA is legendary, regardless of how you feel about him. So it's good to see that he's being embraced by the sport again. Hopefully Tito will fare just as good and we can stop having his milestones and records erased on UFC pay-per-views. One can hope, right? So... It's, it's getting a little warmer, and we all know that when it gets warmer, the Maxim Hot 100 is around the corner. Now, of course, uh, MMA fighters, WWE divas, hell, even TNA Impact knockouts have graced the pages of Maxim in some capacity or another in their Hot 100. Well, it looks like a couple of ladies from the UFC will be taking a couple of spots on that list. Ronda Rousey, Gina Carano who you can put an asterisk next to with regards to her being in the UFC, and Misha Tate have all made the 2014 uh, Maxim Hot 100 list. Uh, Gina Carano is ranked at number 39, Ronda Rousey is ranked at 42, and Misha Tate is ranked at number 58. Of course, once photos from that are available, you can see them on our Facebook fan page. So, very interesting, Gina Carano not that she hasn't been in the limelight, but she hasn't really been super active in the mainstream public. I mean, she did that one movie with stupid ass Cam Gigande, which looks completely awful. And she's pretty much been quiet from what I've heard. She's, you know, she's circling a return to the UFC. And of course, she's going to, you know, she's going to be involved in some movie projects. Of course, Ronda Rousey, it's no it's a no brainer. She's going to be in the Expendables. And, you know, her mainstream appeal is something that 
she's world she's world renowned and recognized everywhere she goes so seeing her on that list doesn't shock me seeing her place so rank so low is a little a little weird but i'm sure that's going to change over time so last week we were talking about Jake Shields facing off against John Fitch at World Series of Fighting talked about it last week i said it was going to be a solid fight well I am saddened to report that that fight is not going to happen. Jake Shields actually suffered an injury during training and has been forced to withdraw from his World Series of Fighting 11 bout with John Fitch. That card was set for July 5th, and it was supposed to air on NBC. As of right now, no opponent for John Fitch has been announced. And another in another MMA injury report, Pat Curran, of course, featherweight champion for Bellator, is injured as well. He suffered an injury to his right calf, so he is going to have to withdraw from his upcoming fight, and he is unable to defend his title, which he was scheduled to defend at Bellator 121. So the injury bug is running rampant in the sport of mixed martial arts, which is, you know, it's craziness. Craziness abounds. Uh, Before I wrap things up, I did want to talk a little bit about uh, a bit of news that started picking up some steam this week, and that was with regards to the Diaz brothers. Uh, Matt Brown, uh, it seemed that Nate Diaz wanted to take a fight with Matt Brown or was, uh, you know, it's been uh, talked about in various websites that, you know, Nate Diaz wanted to come back and fight Matt Brown, and Dana White has gone on record saying that he'd rather see Nick Diaz fight Matt Brown versus instead of going with Nate Diaz. Either way, um, as I mentioned last week, this whole situation with the Diaz brothers, it, it's it's becoming more of a distraction than anything else. But again, we'll see what happens. Either way, Matt Brown, I do feel, is ready for a title opportunity. It, it, it boggles my mind that he's not closer to getting one. I mean, if he goes in there and you give him one more fight and then a title opportunity, I could live with that. But he's been on a tear as of late, and I think he definitely deserves the opportunity. All right, so... Things were a little light on the MMA side of things this week. Let's get into some wrestling news because, as always, there's quite a bit to discuss. Booker T, take it away. We want the gold, sucker! Hulk Hogan, we're coming for you, nigga! My Take Radio's wrestling segment is brought to you by the WWE Shop. WWEShop.com. Use our promo code WWESAVE10 to save $10 on orders over $70 or more. Again, that promo code WWESAVE10. And, of course, it's courtesy of us here at My Take Radio. And you can click the banners on MyTakeRadio.com, which have the promo code as well. All right, so Raw was in the UK this week, which means spoilers abound. By the time I left my office at around quarter to nine, we saw, you know, most of the stuff was already spoiled to some degree. I tried to stay away from spoilers. I know that, you know, Jay ran our live blog for Raw this week and he killed it. Um, There was no impact live blog just because uh, I was getting killed at work and I couldn't set it up for Jay. But Jay definitely killed it during the Raw blog this past Monday. So. Raw opens up with the Wyatt family cutting amazing promos as usual. Um, John Cena's music hits, as academic as that sounds. He runs out and he gets into a bit of a scuffle with the Wyatts. And 
Eric, uh, not Eric Rowan, uh, Luke Harper and John Cena was set up for tonight. So we get a quick commercial, come back. Paul Heyman is on my screen besides obviously uh, extolling the virtues of Brock Lesnar defeating The Undertaker at WrestleMania 30. Of course, we got ourselves a match with Cesaro and Sheamus. And I got, I have to admit, the match was very, very good. We really saw some great physicality from both wrestlers. I feel that Sheamus, um, he showed a little bit more character in this match. I don't know if it's because of the inevitable heel turn or just because he works so well with Cesaro, but the match itself was very good. It was hard hitting. Um, Sheamus actually got the crowd involved and actually got them giving a shit about the match, which with Sheamus, it's definitely hard work. Now, the thing that I've talked about is the the alleged rumor of Sheamus joining Evolution. Everybody's saying that when Batista goes to promote Guardians of the Galaxy, that uh, Sheamus will be taking his spot in Evolution. So I want to pose this to you guys. How would you guys feel with, with Sheamus being in Evolution? Do you think that it would add a little bit uh, of a fresh coat, excuse me, a fresh coat of paint to the group, or do you think that with Batista departing, they really should let Evolution just kind of fall by the wayside? Uh, Jay says that Face Sheamus has to go quickly. I agree. Face Sheamus, boring as shit. Now, him coming out with a fancy suit with the rest of, you know, with Triple H and Randy Orton, I think would add a different dynamic. As I've said before, um, Evolution needs another member. Not Well, they need at least two members one to replace Batista and somebody else because as a group, they're there. But me and Josh had a conversation uh, this past week and Josh called me up and we talk about Raw usually the day after. And Josh said to me, oh, you know, evolution, they're kind of, you know, they're kind of bullshit. They're kind of boring. They've never, you know, they're not really, they're not really good part. You know, that the only reason evolution is, getting anything any remote pop is because of Triple H. Now, obviously I'm ad-libbing the conversation a little bit, but I the way I look at it is and this is what I told Josh in our conversation, I feel that Evolution needs to be involved because they're the only legitimate threat on the entire roster because WWE has done nothing to establish new stars. And this is the problem. Obviously, the Wyatts are uh, bona fide stars and they have their own niche on the roster same thing with the shield but both guys like even the Wyatts aren't working as full heels like they're working as heels with John Cena but the crowd is into their shtick they're into what the those guys are doing same thing with the shield the shield did the full-on face turn and that's great but who do you have to oppose these guys so obviously Randy Orton has is is a complete fucking dullard and Batista, we know that the Batista push, how how lackluster it was. So the evolution thing is is really a no-brainer. But I will say this, who else do we have? Now, honestly, I would like to bring, you know, see the company bring up new guys and start creating some really, really solid heels, but it's just not there. When you have a, a cohesive unit like the Shield that draws pops as soon as that guitar riff hits, you know what to expect. So you got to have name guys up there to help them get over. Now, you know, Jay says you need a face that would, that would be the less obvious to heel turn. And that has talent. That's, that's a, that's a good way of putting it. But 
the thing that gets me is that you take a group like the shield you bring them full circle they're they're the faces of your organization right now who on this roster right now and i and i want a legitimate answer who on the roster right now can take it to the shield that would make them credible and and i'm taking let's take away the wyatts because that's a that's the obvious answer and I'm sorry to say they don't have anybody unless you bring up like the Ascension and maybe put them with Kane or something like that where you can create a stable of dangerous guys. You really have nobody that can help that group go to the next level. Don't 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 misunderstand. Evolution almost feels like it was an emergency, like they had to pull the pin on a grenade because they really had nothing else. They're like, oh, man, we're going to turn these guys what are we going to do with them? We need to get them over. And obviously, like I said, the Batista turn bombed and the Randy Orton title run was abysmal. So you got to do the the obvious choice. Now, the funny thing is we were I was messaging back and forth with Jay because I was watching Impact. And it's funny because they put MVP uh, Bobby Lashley and Kenny King together and they talk about money, power and respect, which Junior Mafia should um, hit those guys up for gimmick infringement. But the reason I, I, I bring it up is because they're running a similar evolution style program with Eric Young in the role of Daniel Bryan. And this is the stuff I'm talking about. Is evolution really the only thing you got? That was ah, thank you. Thank you, Slick. My hip hop knowledge is a little off. I apologize. And of course, I knew Slick would correct me with that. Thank you. Thank you with that. Yes, it was the locks that are fully um fully responsible for money power respect which i really should check myself into a corner because i have i have that on my ipod which whatever i fucked up sue me but anyway as i said with regards to what we you know what we should do with the shield and with evolution who else do we got i mean they got their shitty ass skeleton t-shirts who else can we put in that that slot honestly at this point i would probably elevate cesaro and start putting him up there to mix it up. I would probably start elevating uh, Sami Zayn onto the main card, and I would probably take advantage of the fact that Dolph Ziggler is extremely over. Dolph Ziggler, any way you slice it, even even my even stuck in mid card hell is incredibly over. And I don't understand why you're not you're not trying to create guys that can mix it up with the shield and instead are relying on a part timer. Well, two part timers and a guy that really doesn't even need to be in a group, which is Randy Orton. But again, I digress anyway. And I'll, I'll dig I'll get into this a little more later on in the segment due to a rumor that I heard about another faction from the past that is making a comeback. There's a little tease for you guys. Anyway. We started to get a beat the clock challenge for a title opportunity against the one and only Bad News Barrett. And of course, the first match, big surprise because, you know, you had Ryback and Big E Langston. Now, here's the funny thing. I actually expect this match to be shitty. I'll tell you why. Big E Langston has great work rate. He works well in the ring. But you have a guy like Ryback who sometimes he moves like he's got his legs in in jars of fucking molasses. And other times, Ryback works very fluid. 
I was pleasantly surprised by how fluid the match was. It wasn't just a typical strong style match with clubbing blows and punches and kicks and punches and kicks. It was it did it did have a little technique to it. Um, you know, there there were there were some moments that looked a little suspect, but overall the match itself was very good. Um, you know, Biggie hitting the big ending on Ryback was was definitely impressive to see. And the match, like I said, was surprisingly well done. So Jay says Cesaro's the strong man, logical choice, but Heyman doesn't fit. Wade Barrett looks good in a suit and has a belt. You know what? That I, I that that really is a, a very very valid point with regards to Wade Barrett. But Wade Barrett's been stuck in so many different factions. You know, you had the Nexus, you had the Core. You know, it's just it's just the guy. The guy's been always associated with a group, and then when he tries to run solo. It just doesn't work. I think that by putting him in a group, you derail the bad news Barrett gimmick. As much as I agree with Jay, I do feel that at this at this juncture, Wade Barrett is more successful on his own. But definitely props to Jay for that because he is he is a solid candidate. So R Truth and the Funkadactyls were out, and they were setting up a match with Fandango. And as much as I really was excited to see that match. Note the sarcasm in my voice. It was pleasant. It was promptly interrupted by the return of everyone's favorite clucking chicken, Summer Rae, who made her return to lip lock her beak with Fandango's face and mix it up with Layla in a segment that was just completely unnecessary. You have a love triangle between one semi-decent diva and one meh diva and a guy who is pretty much... The, the the only other comedy gimmick besides Santino that's going on right now. Now, the thing that gets me is a couple of guys reached, you know, I, I said something on Twitter about Summer Rae and they were just like, oh, you know, you don't you get you don't give Summer Rae enough credit, blah, blah, blah. She's pretty good in the ring, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm just like, right, because here's the thing. If she's so good in the ring. Why aren't they taking advantage of it for their fucking paper-thin divas division? Oh, yeah, that's right, because she goes to do movies with The Miz and then shit with Total Divas and then now is in a love triangle with Fandango. Who gives a shit? That's what gets me about this. This this clucking chicken all of a sudden has this quote-unquote mainstream appeal, which I don't understand, and um, you're making her the focal point of an angle when you have a divas division that's fucking paper thin. I don't understand it. You do all that, by the way, they made sure to take advantage of of that situation to announce season three of Total Divas, which, by the way, will have everyone's favorite hot-blooded Latina Rosa Mendez on the season. Yuck. <sighs> it's, it's, it's so terrible. Jay says, ever since she got called up from NXT, her wrestling turned to shit. Exactly. Because I remember when everybody was talking about Summer Rae and she first debuted, people were like, yeah, man, you got to see her NXT work. It was solid. It was good. And it, and it was. I saw her NXT work and she had a really she had a really good body of work in that, you know, on the program. And then she got called up to the main roster and it just it just it, everything just hit the just shit the bed. And it's like it's almost like and my fellow New Yorkers will understand. You take a team like the New York Yankees. All of a sudden, you say, 
oh, Jose Canseco's coming to play for the Yankees. Everybody's up in arms. Oh, it's going to be awesome. Jose Canseco blasting home runs, et cetera, et cetera. Then the guy comes to New York and he sucks. And, and, and it isn't just Jose Canseco. You know, it happens with basketball players. It happens with any guy that comes to, you know, a franchise team. They come here and all of a sudden they turn to shit. Then with, with the Divas, everybody talks about, oh, this chick's work rate. It's great, blah, blah, blah. And as soon as they get to the main roster, I don't know what the fuck happens. I don't know if it's the people that are laying out the matches in the back. I don't know if it's the production. I don't know what it is, but they just it just takes a complete dump. And the sad part is... NXT has a better Divas division than the main roster. How insane is that? How insane is it that your minor league has, you know, your 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 B league has a better division than your than your start, you know, than your starting lineup? Seriously. Jay says this boss comment was brought to you by the 90s. <laughs> Oh man. You know it's funny um uh GFQ42377 says but once they get called up production always change their style bigger ring less time and production pressure. All right, I'm going I'm going to I'm going to give you that one because Dean Ambrose talked about it when they were talking about the shield being called up to the main roster that he said, "Yeah, you got to learn how to look at the camera and make sure you're in the right place to get the move on TV and blah 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 and I gi- I'll give I'll give you that I'll give you that but but Summer Rae has been on TV for how long now and her work rate just seems eh. and again it's not even it's not even me saying that her wrestle that she's a shitty wrestler her NXT work was good so I don't understand where the disconnect occurs same thing with Paige Paige is running roughshod in in NXT and then all of a sudden you bring her up to the main roster and it's like oh she's sneaking out all these victories and you know she's hitting all the you know she's hitting her finisher out of nowhere or whatever and then all of a sudden you know they job her out to Alicia Fox on Monday and I was just like what the fuck happened I it just it just blew my mind because again there's there's so much more to to the Divas division and I really want to see that division succeed you watch promotions like Shimmer, um, Ring of Honor when they used to have a, a, a steady crop of women's wrestlers, even TNA's knockouts, and you see some very talented women there that are complete wrestlers from start to finish. And don't get me wrong, you got Sarah Del Rey working with the Divas. I don't understand how you have someone like Sarah Del Rey, Del Rey excuse me, working with the Divas and some of them, their ring work just is is lackluster. Now, I will say this. There have been improvements. Like the Bellas. They're not complete dog shit anymore when they wrestle. They're pretty good. Tamina also has improved. But their improvements are, are, are incremental. They're small. And it's weird because you have a steady hand of good trainers and, and wrestlers to, to, to work with. You got Natalia. You got... Um, Sarah Del Rey, uh, Emma's a pretty established wrestler. Paige is an established wrestler. AJ's an established wrestler. So it's not like they don't have veteran hands to make their product better. But again, this is the age-old argument with the divas, and it really, you know, it, it can it, it can beat up pretty much everything. But what can you do? Anyway, we get ourselves a commercial break. 
Stephanie McMahon comes out, trolls everybody with Daniel Bryan's music. You know, she pretty much uh, kind of throws it out there that Daniel Bryan's going to have to give up his belt on Monday. And then, you know, she did a terrible, terrible Bad News Barrett impersonation, which considering that they were in the UK, as soon as she name dropped Bad, Bad News Barrett, the crowd went nuts. Stephanie McMahon, you know, it's very easy to hate her 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 mic work and her her screen presence. I mean, you know, Josh messages me plenty of times and he goes, yo, Stephanie McMahon is horrid. And don't get me wrong, she's definitely not an A-caliber villain. But when you compare Stephanie McMahon to, say, Dixie Carter in terms of villainous female authority figures, Stephanie McMahon is better by a mile, which is bananas. It's definitely crazy. So... You know, it's 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 one thing to to say, oh yeah, you know, Stephanie McMahon, she's complete shit. There, here's the thing, Stephanie McMahon just she has issue making certain certain aspects of her heel persona believable. But you know what? If you compare her to say Dixie Carter, Dixie Carter is fucking terrible. Oh my god. Jay says Stephanie McMahon is like pizza. Even when she's bad, she's still good. <laughs> well said jay well said but again of course we're getting into the whole danny bryan has to give up the belt on monday blah 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 i i i highly doubt they're gonna strip danny bryan of the belt but if they do i listen i'm a i'm a i'm a daniel bryan fan i want him to heal up i want him to get better and if you got to strip the belt and allow him to recover correctly and let him have a long career because of it I'm all for it. And this is the crazy thing, because a lot of guys on Twitter, yo, man, what the fuck? Daniel Bryan needs to come back. Uh, Wrestling is shitty, blah, blah, blah. It's like, listen, these are guys with families, with careers, some of them with children, and neck injuries are extremely fickle. And when when I say that, it's because you can go, you can get the surgery, you can get, you can start recovering, and your neck, your neck muscles and your, you know, your bones, your vertebrae can still deteriorate. It can still happen. Look at Edge. Edge got the surgery. He came back and his career was still cut short. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin did the surgery. His career cut short. That's what happens. You, you look at these guys and, and, and you see that their careers get cut short because as soon as you get that neck surgery, that's it. It's lights out. Kurt Angle, I'm shocked, continues to wrestle. But Kurt Angle's also a psychopath, so that's a little different. But these guys, when you get into, into neck injuries, it's, it's a very, very slippery slope. And like I said, as much as I'd love to see Daniel Bryan on TV mixing it up, giving us great television, I'm also a realist and I'd rather the guy recover so he can wrestle for 10 more years versus coming back a couple of months early and only giving us five years. Simple as that. You you have to you have to think about that. I understand as a wrestling fan, you have certain expectations. You want to you want good wrestling, you want a great product, but you also got to remember that these guys they, they they walk around sometimes with injuries forever. And if they can have the opportunity to rest up, they deserve that. And it's funny because a couple of weeks back I talked about WWE contemplating giving guys uh, rest breaks, giving them a t- giving them not so much a, 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 um, you know an off season, but definitely 
um, cycling guys and giving them their time off. And I think that's a great idea because you can take the opportunity while say two guys, you know, two main eventers are off to push two guys to become new main eventers. And I understand that it's the fear of losing your spot as a professional wrestler. I understand it. It's crazy. And, and you know, it can happen, but you also can take this opportunity to create new stars, to give these guys a, a, a chance to shine. And this is something that Jim Ross talked about in his blog when CM Punk left, he said with with CM Punk gone, there is a huge void for the next big superstar to step through. And it's already happening with Cesaro. It's happening with Roman Reigns. It's happening with Seth Rollins. We're starting to see that. We're starting to see these new guys emerge and really start solidifying themselves as upper card players. And I think that's that's what we need to do. We need to have some sort of a split. I'm not saying that you take all your main eventers off TV, but you cycle them, say, three months. You take, you, you know, you take John Cena off television for three months. Then you take Daniel Bryan off when John Cena comes back for three months. Then you take off whatever, Sheamus or Mark Henry. I mean, Rob Van Dam, as much as people complain about Rob Van Dam's ring work, you have to commend the guy for having career longevity because he comes back. He wrestles for a couple of months. He takes time off, and it allows him to stay healthy. It's it's not difficult. I mean, like I said, take the time to create new stars, and when guys get injured, it won't be as bad. It's like right now there's like scrambling because Daniel Bryan's your number two guy behind John Cena, and they've created no one else. Even though I feel that the Shield are up there, they're not the guys that are going to carry your company yet. Anyway. Uh, the 3MB came out as the Union Jacks, and they pretty much got murder, death, killed by Rusev. Not shocked in the least. Um, if you're curious why I'm not playing video clips, uh, a couple of things. I've been fighting with YouTube a little bit uh, with episode 327, where you know I had to get the you know copyright complaints, etc. And luckily, I had uh, backup to play those, you know, to play most of those clips. So. You know, we've been kind of going clip free for the time being until I can figure out something. A couple of guys have told me that I should I can play the clips with no audio and then just me provide commentary. But until I figure it out for sure, you know, we're going to kind of take a we're going to take a bit of a break with the video clips for the time being. They're not gone, but we're just trying to find a way around the situation. Anyway, while on the subject of Rob Van Dam, he was in action for the Beat the Clock Challenge against Alberto Del Rio. First off, Alberto Del Rio looked incredibly pale for some reason. I don't know if it was the lack of sun in the UK, but he looked he looked incredibly piss-colored ver- versus his usual uh, golden tan complexion. The match itself was, eh, you know, it was, it was really just, um, it was a little disjointed, and you knew pretty much from the start of the match that Rob Van Dam was going to get the victory, not shocked in the least that that's how it went, but it definitely was not one of the better matches of the evening. So John Cena started to channel his inner Matthew McConaughey with the Usos um, in their segment with Renee Young, which was pretty good. I definitely feel Renee Young is a tremendous asset to the interview team. I'm sure she will at some point transition to color commentary, and I'd like to see it. I think Renee Young is incredibly talented. And she's really good with the improv out there. 
uh, doing, you know, alongside guys like John Cena, the Usos, even in her segment later on with Adam Rose. Uh, just really, really great stuff. John Cena doing the whole Matthew McConaughey thing. It was funny. And it, I actually got a genuine chuckle out of it of as long as they don't make it something where they're going to keep doing it. It was, you know, it was it was amusing. It wasn't the worst segment ever. And again, it can all be, um, you know, five star matches. You got to break it up with a little entertainment. And like I said, I got a solid chuckle out of that segment. So Th- Seth Rollins took on Batista in a in a pretty decent match. I, I actually found it to be a very good match. Um, primarily because Seth Rollins definitely carried Batista in that match. Uh, Batista looked pretty good. He had some really great power moves and power spots in that match. And of course, Seth Rollins selling like a madman worked to, you know, it worked to their advantage. Um, I felt the match was very good. I liked where they're kind of going, just going after the shield one guy at a time. I do feel that allowing these guys to work individually can give them a better chance to shine. Like Seth Rollins and Batista, at first glance, I say, oh, you know, this match is going to suck. And I was I was extremely surprised by how well it went. So we got a rematch between Paige and Alicia Fox. Like I said earlier on, I really didn't like the way that they booked that match. It seemed a little awkward. You know, Paige was in her hometown. WWE, you know, pretty much jobbed her out. It almost felt like Alicia Fox's pin was accidental. And I want to ask Jay if he if he noticed that. Did you get the feeling that when the ref counted three that it was accidental? Because it took them a minute to, to kind of announce Alicia Fox as the winner. And I've heard that in instances where the ref fucks up the count, that the win has to stand. Because obviously it's live TV and they can't re-edit it. But it was it was weird. It was it was just a weird way to 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 close out that match. And then Alicia Fox's her her post match antics were amusing. They were quite they were quite funny. I just felt that you know jobbing out not jobbing out Paige, but letting Paige eat the loss at you know in her hometown didn't work. Now Jay says that he thought Paige forgot to kick out. You know, it could have been that too. I I never thought of that because it, it almost felt like when the ref did the count, he was like one. Two, and then as he kind of went down, it almost looked like he wanted to stop and he hit the three count. But I, I, you know, it could be that. Jay says, I heard no one called for the match to go home yet. Huh? Interesting. See, it, it, it's it's weird with that because I said, wow, why, why is Paige going to lose in the UK? As soon as her music hit and she came out, the crowd was super pumped. And then all of a sudden it was just, it just really took a turn into fucking shitsville. It was really, really weird and extremely, extremely awkward. Our next Beat the Clock match had Mark Henry and Dolph Ziggler, and the match was pretty good, even though it went, you know, it went over the allotted time, and Rob Van Dam ends up becoming the number one contender, which, of course, sets up a little bit of bad news as... Well, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Bad News Barrett came out and killed Rob Van Dam dead with a bullhammer elbow and cut a, a very, very awesome promo. Plus, he debuted the very awesome Bad News Barrett t-shirt. Now, I've said this, you know, I've said this in a couple of interviews and I've, I've said this to a couple of people. I w- you know, I went through a stage where I didn't like wearing wrestling shirts because the shirts were extremely shitty looking and it just always made you look like a weirdo. But I have to admit, 
WWE's creative department is stepping up with the with their t-shirt designs to where they don't look utterly obnoxious or scream, hey, I'm a wrestling fan. And not only that, but wrestling's become so mainstream that it's really not a big deal. But as soon as I saw that Bad News Barrett t-shirt, I said, shit, I would definitely buy that t-shirt. Definitely. I'd buy it day one as soon as I saw it because it was very, very cool. And it was it was just the right amount of in your face that it didn't look utterly obnoxious. So definitely props to the WWE creative department for that, because that shirt definitely will be part of my collection. So our final match of the evening, Luke Harper and John Cena was incredibly good. Um, Luke Harper continues to impress. A lot of people don't give the Wyatts enough credit. And when I reference the Wyatts, I mean Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. These guys, as big as they are, they're agile. They move well. They got super crisp ring work. And they always look really good in there with John Cena. But I'll say this. The match was going extremely well. There was no necessity to even give Cena the DQ victory because you could have let that match play out because it was very good. Every part of that match was tremendous. I truly felt that Luke Harper is in a class of his own when it comes to wrestling with John Cena. Every time those guys get together, there's magic in the ring. Now, that's not to say that Luke Harper would make a great singles competitor, but I do feel that there's a tremendous upside between Harper and Rowan, and you can use those guys as a secondary foundation for your tag team division. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely something that jumps out because you'd look at a guy like, like Luke Harper and you wouldn't think that he would be such an agile guy, such a fluid, uh, such a fluid wrestler. And he definitely surprised me. Um, Jay says that fucking story has run its course, such as the Kane Bryan bullshit. Yeah, I do agree that they've dragged out the the Wyatt family feud with Cena a little longer than expected, but you need to give Bray Wyatt the victory at this pay-per-view as well and just move on to the next, you know, to whatever next feud we're going to. You can't drag this out all the way to SummerSlam. I do agree that it is starting to run its course, but we are also getting some great matches. And honestly, if it wasn't Cena feuding with the Wyatts is going to be Cena back in the main event picture. And at this point, I kind of like Cena being on the sidelines a little bit because when he does get back in the main event picture, it's not going to be it's not going to be something that's that's incredibly annoying. But I do understand where Jay's coming from. I definitely do, but the match with Harper and Cena was incredibly good. I was thoroughly surprised with that match. Afterwards, um of course the Wyatts get involved. And the Usos run out and Bray Wyatt hits Sister Abigail's on everyone to the point where, you know, they ran in uh, and and he caught one of the Usos with Sister Abigail. And it was a one a one swift motion move guy ran in there and he caught him. Boom. And he dropped them. It was it was fluid. And it showed that Bray Wyatt starting to get really, really comfortable in the ring, hitting his finisher like this. Incredibly fluid, super quick, and it looked tight. You know, it wasn't like a sloppy Sister Abigail. It was a good grab, a, a solid swing, and a, and definitely a great sell by the Usos. Overall, uh, Raw in the UK was pretty solid, but one thing that made that Raw incredibly good was the crowd. So definitely props to the crowd 
for making a decent Raw extremely enjoyable. Plus, Bad News Barrett definitely killed it in the UK. All right, so let's talk about this week's wrestling news. There, there's a lot of stuff that I want to get into. Um, you know, the, the thing we, we got to open up with, and, and this is something that I'm sure is going to create some interesting conversation. It's the WWE stock. So WWE stock closed super low to the point where Vince McMahon was on the front page of Yahoo, and they said Vince lost $340 million dollars let that sink in you know like box office totals 340 million dollars gone like that it was it was insanity the fact that you look on yahoo and you see vince mcmahon on the front page and it said wwe ceo loses 340 million dollars in a day do you hear this in a day so everybody, everybody's panicking. You know, a lot of the, the other wrestling sites, they're panicking. Oh, my God. WWE lost $348 million. Holy shit. It, it, listen, it happens. It, every company goes through a patch like this. Part of the reason that the stock took a nosedive was because the renewal that WWE got with the networks wasn't double as they had anticipated. We talked about this. We talked about this before where WWE was banking on re-upping their television, their television deals with, you know, with double what they were getting paid, what they were getting paid initially. That turns out to not be the case. So when the network launched, the stock went up to 30 bucks a share, which was good. But then like I, once, once it was announced that, the company only got a 25% increase in TV rights fees and it wasn't double as they had anticipated. The stock market got really scared. Now people, they all, they start panicking, especially because shortly after they said that a private investment uh, firm called Lemelson capital purchased um, a stake in the company and that they were calling for new management. Now here's the thing. As soon as people read that, they started going crazy. They started wilding out. And again, let's let let me explain something to you. So you guys understand. Vince McMahon owns 57% of WWE's class A stock and 87% of WWE's class B stock, meaning that he has roughly about 82 to 85% voting power. So any outside group that buys WWE stock that's hoping to gain an influence, yeah, they'll be able to pressure the board of directors, but they won't be able to force changes because Vince McMahon still is majority owner. Based on the number of shares he owns, 57% of Class A and 87% of Class B. So with that said, everybody that's panicking, that's going crazy, listen, Every company posts a loss. Sony posted a loss. Even though the PlayStation 4 is the number one selling console, they posted a loss. It happens. But Jay brings up a very valid point. Wait till the network launches overseas. There's still a lot that has to be done with the network. Before anybody, excuse me, before anybody talks about the death knell or, or any of this stuff, you have to remember 
when a company is publicly traded, it's going to have its highs and it's going to have its lows. And with that, there's going to come different things that are going to make the market incredibly skittish. You got to remember, the network was supposed to hit a million subscribers by the end of the year. It's on tap to do that. But just because it's not hitting the, the milestones as fast as it should, people get scared. Same thing with the rights with the rights deal. Oh, they didn't double the rights fees. Oh, that kind of sucks. WWE is not as cool as it used to be. Doesn't matter. They're locked up with NBC for the foreseeable future. WWE has their hands not only in television, but they're also in live event planning. They're also in uh, action figures. They're also in video games. They're also in merchandise. They got the Kmart clothing line. They have WWE Studios, etc. They have their fingers in many pies. And the profitability can come from more than one avenue. So please, as much as I love my fellow wrestling fans, do not panic. Do not go on Reddit or Twitter inciting all this craziness. Take some time. Learn a little bit about the market. So that way you can discuss it intelligently. The reason I found out about this is because... Once you start working a real job that offers you 401k stock options, you start learning about your money really fucking quick. And I kid you not, when when the stock market took a complete dump, I I didn't even look at my 401k. I think I opened it once and I was just like, yep, that's kind of shitty. And then I just closed the window and went about my business. It happens all over the place. Yeah, some people lose their shirt with the stock market. But again, there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Me, I go through my 401k, I play it pretty safe, and that's it. Some people, they're more aggressive, and when you're more aggressive, you lose some money. Simple as that. That's just that's just the way it is. You know, hell, you know, Apple's, Apple's lost money here and there, and you don't see anybody talking about a death knell for Apple. Think about it. Apple's on the verge of launching their next phone, the iPhone 6. And everybody knows that as soon as you mention the word iPhone, the stock goes up. But the nostalgia and the novelty is wearing off. Same thing with Facebook. Thank you, uh, uh, 42377. Same thing with Facebook. Facebook, yeah, you know, Facebook is publicly traded. Yeah. And then it, the, the, the stock went up, and then the stock took a fucking dump. That's how it works. And if you're in the stock market like that, you, got, you just got to get well-versed. You got to know how to play the game. You know, there's no pun in that. That's just, it's just facts. So before you write this death knell or this obituary for WWE, let them resolve their own issues. I will say this, though. A lot of motherfuckers are going to get fired because Vince McMahon, it's not just Vince McMahon making all the all these decisions. He has a brain trust of individuals, you know, George Barrios, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon and countless other corporate yes men that tell Vince if these ideas are good or bad. And we've talked about this before. Oh, you know, we're going to do this. You know, Vince, nobody says, hey, Vince, I think that's a shitty idea. Very few people do. A lot of them, they yes, Vince to death, and then it works. Same like the network. I'll be completely honest when I say to you that had the network launched as a cable channel, it would not have the same appeal as what they did by launching it digitally. Right now, you have a product that is accessible everywhere. You don't need the the confines of cable providers. You don't need um, any sort of requirements that you have to deal with. All you got to do is pay WWE $10 a month and you get to watch hours upon hours upon hours upon hours of professional wrestling. 
If that shit is not revolutionary, then you have to live under a fucking rock. Because I feel that that is probably the most revolutionary thing going right now. You get to watch an entire library of professional wrestling plus original content for $10 a month. And you get the pay-per-views basically for free. So please, don't take some time and research. On the contrary, I really wish that the UFC would have followed WWE's uh, plan of attack and created a UFC network. They have the tape library. I'd fucking give them, I'd give the UFC money $10 a month if they had, you know, Strike Force, Affliction, old UFC stuff, all the regular seasons of The Ultimate Fighter, and, you know, say you do all the Fight Pass cards, but people still got to buy the pay-per-views. It's it's better than what they got now. WWE revolutionized how we consume content, and the qu- and the quicker people embrace that and understand that, the better they'll be. Because yeah, you can go and watch your TV shows on Hulu, but you're getting your TV shows with commercials. All the shit you want to watch on Hulu that you're paying for, you're watching with commercials. WWE Network, everything you watch is soup to nuts. WWE no commercials no bullshit you know it, it's it, 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 it's it's exactly that so please you know educate yourselves don't go online and and spout off at the mouth or you know be a keyboard warrior get get some information the only reason I know about this stuff with WWE stock is because I was you know I'm, uh, we all got 401ks and I was talking about it and I was like yeah man you know Vince McMahon lost 340 million dollars And, you know, one of the guys was like, yeah, you know, that it sucks and it's crazy, but I'm sure that Vince McMahon owns a sizable amount of stock. So we fished around and we were talking about him before, you know, it was like, yeah, you know, he owns this much and this much. So again, Google is your friend, guys, get informed and get educated. Stop looking for, you know, wardrobe malfunctions of WWE divas and educate yourself on other aspects of your interests. It'll be better for you in the long run. That's all I'm saying. This past weekend, Ring of Honor was here in New York City doing their IWGP versus Ring of Honor card, which was tremendous. A lot of people sent me um, a lot of different pictures from Instagram, a lot of different tweets and text messages letting me know about all the different stuff that went down. AJ Styles versus Okada and Elgin for the IWGP title I heard was bananas. It was an insane match with AJ Styles retaining. Um, I'm very mad that I didn't get to see that card because, like I said, there were really, really great fights there. Jay Lethal uh, versus Kushida uh, for the Ring of Honor TV title, I heard, was also good. Plus, um, Adam Cole defeated the legendary Jushin Thunder Liger in a match for the Ring of Honor world title. The fact I have never, ever, ever seen Jushin Thunder Liger wrestle live on my bucket list of things to do so the fact that i missed that makes me kick myself as soon as i saw it i was like ah this is bullshit so there you have it anyway um ring of honor's next event is going to be uh their best in the world pay-per-view june 22nd and from what i'm hearing christopher daniels will be heading to ring of honor and i'm sure he will have kazarian in tow so there you go Uh, Ring of Honor picks up two solid hands to continue delivering some solid wrestling. 
All right, so let's talk about some WWE signings that I heard about this week. Um, first up, they signed West Coast independent wrestler Willie Mack to a developmental deal. Um, from what I've been hearing, uh, Willie Mack is incredibly agile, incredibly entertaining, and his wrestling is top-notch. You can probably look up uh, Willie Mack's highlight reel on YouTube, and you can see for yourselves. Also, uh, rumors are flying around that Kevin Steen will be offered a WWE developmental deal. I am very, very pumped. Uh, ProWrestling.net is reporting that. Um, It's weird because ACH and Rocky Romero... Uh, did not get offers. Plus, we don't know what the story is with the extremely talented Roderick Strong. I will say this. Kevin Steen in the WWE, I would probably bring him in as a member of the Wyatt family. Now, Jay may cringe when I say that, and I'm curious, but I would um, I would definitely bring in Kevin Steen as a member of the Wyatt family. Like I said, stables need four wrestlers. Your main event guy your mid-card guy, and your tag team guys. Kevin Steen would be fantastic. Jay says, I worry for Steen. And with regards to Willie Mack, he says, Willie Max would be NXT bound and would possibly be released afterwards. Damn, Jay, no love for Willie Mack. Why? He looked incredibly promising from the highlight reel videos I saw on YouTube. What makes you think that he won't be successful? I'm definitely curious to hear what you have to say. Um... Last bit of wrestling news, as I said, uh, Total Divas third season with Rosa Mendez is a lock on E. We'll see how wonderful that is. I do not watch that shit, but I know that my wife uh, watches it, and it's definitely a guilty pleasure. Jay says, Steen needs to be put in a stable first. That's what I'm saying. I would put Kevin Steen in the Wyatt family. (laughs) Willie Mack is black case closed damn Jay Jeez, not even not even giving the brother a little love it's like nope he's gonna bomb who knows we'll see what happens so as I mentioned the MMA segment the Maxim Hot 100 is in full effect and one of WWE's divas made the count and that is Eva Marie Eva Marie came in at number 83 on the Maxim Top 100 so Tell me this. Do you guys agree that Eva Marie should be in the Maxim Top 100 versus any other diva on the roster? I'm curious to see what you guys have to say. Feel free to share your comments in the chat. So I'm going to bring up Bill Goldberg because I'm I'm sure sure Jay's going to say something awful. So Goldberg was on Jim Ross's podcast, The Ross Report, this past week, and he was talking about, uh, you know, his football career and whether he would return to the WWE. So Goldberg told Jim Ross that he actually would consider one more match in the WWE and he would be open to it if the money was right and he still goes to the gym five days a week. Plus, he would love for his son to see him wrestle live. Now, with that said, if Bill Goldberg came back to the WWE and you had to have one match, Goldberg gets one match and maybe he goes in the Hall of Fame, who would you like to see him go against? Me, personally, I would like to see a Bill Goldberg-Brock Lesnar match once again. And I'll tell you why. Because that match ended in horrific fashion. The crowd turned on those guys. And I think that if you did that match again, the outcome would be a lot different because people have a different respect for the business now than they did back then. Jay says, Derrick Rose would come back before Goldberg. (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, shit. Slick, why did you use thought in a fucking sentence? Why? Oh, Slick, why? You should know better. <laughs> Slick says, I had to. She is trash. <laughs> I can't. I can't do it. Anyway. All right, Jay. I got a brand new homework assignment, and maybe both of us can attend this time. Ring of Honor is going to be doing an event at Cyclone Stadium, MCU Park in Brooklyn, on August 15th. Tickets go on sale tomorrow. Tomorrow at 10 a.m. There you have it. Slick, if you want, if I get tickets and you want to go, I'll let you know. Um, once again, Ring of Honor, Brooklyn Cyclone Stadium here in New York City. Uh, tickets go on sale tomorrow. Well, today, because it's officially uh, May 23rd, and they go on sale beginning at 10 a.m. You can get them at brooklyncyclones.com or 718-507-TIXX. Or, of course, in person if you go to the MCU Park box office. Jay says, I might get tickets for that. I got a hookup. <laughs> I, I shouldn't even be shocked hearing that. I should not even be shocked. All right. So as I mentioned, WWE Films is signed with Lionsgate for six more movies. Now, you're probably asking yourself, all right, we're going to get another See No Evil with Kane. We're going to get Leprechaun with Hornswoggle. What else are we going to get? Well, how about a movie with the big show as the lead? This particular film will be called Vendetta, and basically the plot is going to be that um, a private eye is going... Uh, well, a, a, I've seen two different descriptions. A private eye or a regular detective who deliberately commits a crime to be sent to prison so he can seek vengeance on the criminal that killed his wife. It's an interesting plot. Um, it's supposed to be directed by the two the two young women who directed uh, Kane's See No Evil 2. So I'm curious because the big show, the big show is not a terrible actor. Don't get me wrong. Everything he's done has been, with the exception of Knucklehead, he plays like the regular guy pretty decently and he has good comedic timing. So Slick says boo immediately. <laughs> so... You know, he, he's appeared in The Waterboy, Jingle All the Way, MacGruber, etc., etc. But here's the thing with WWE films. And this is something I was thinking about when I read this. You take guys like The Big Show, uh, guys like Dolph Ziggler. Um, oh, booing the story, not show. <laughs> okay, I understand, Slick. So think about this. These guys, they, they wrestling is acting. And one of the things that makes you a better actor is coaching and working with other with other creative members, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I think that these that the wrestlers doing movies, even if they're straight to video, would definitely improve their craft as a whole. I think that that's a big part of just becoming a better performer. There are certain things that can be taught. Uh, ring psychology can be taught. Um, mat technique can be taught. Bumps can be taught. But having screen presence, you're either born with it or you got to nurture and cultivate it. And I think that a lot of these guys that make the jump and they do these bit parts here or there, they actually find not only a different outlet creatively, but it also starts setting the foundation for these guys when they step away from the ring. Great examples. 
Look at Edge. Edge, he does Haven on sci-fi. Is he making a shitload of money? No. But again, this is this is something that keeps that keeps him busy, that keeps him creative. That's great. I mean, I saw Edge in that really terrible Highlander sequel. Was he good in that movie? Eh, it was okay. It was a bit part, but still, it was alright. Was it, you know, it wasn't terrible. Same thing can be said with Kane. Kane and See No Evil. I'll be honest. See No Evil wasn't the greatest horror movie I've seen, but I think Kane definitely worked very well in that role. I think it, it was tremendous, and he did very well with it. And even the character of Jacob Goodnight was very, very well executed. But again. For every see no evil that you have with good acting from Kane, you have a shitty Marine movie with Ted DiBiase Jr. Or a shitty movie with The Miz. And it's weird because you would think that The Miz, with his work in the real world, he'd be a better actor. Not to say that he's a shitty wrestler, but a better actor. That's all I'm saying. Triple H, it's weird because he did that really shitty chaperone movie but he was pretty good in Blade. He he was very, he was pretty solid in Blade. I felt that when Triple H did Blade, I was like, "Wow. This this guy is a is a pretty passable actor." Same thing with Batista. Batista, he's done a lot of movies. He did that really shitty action movie with Rob Van Dam that I talked about. Um what the fuck is it called? Ah, uh, where is it? Uh we we got to work a little IMDb magic for this. Uh, Dave Batista. He did, he did a movie with Rob Van Dam, which is actually on Netflix. And I want you guys to see it because this movie, Rob Van Dam is supposed to be the star of this movie. And I want to show you guys the cover because the cover of this movie is nowhere near what, you know, what it should be. I was like, really? Rob Van Dam is the star of this. How is that? Let me see if I can find a picture of it. So check this out. Check out this. Uh, check out this movie. This movie, The Wrong Side of Town, had a, a wonderful award-winning cast. Ja Rule, Amorion, Rob Van Dam, and Dave Batista. Now, as you can see, Batista is on the poster. But the main character is Rob Van Dam. How fucked up is that? Dave Batista plays like his friend, but the main character is Rob Van Dam. How ridiculous is that? I think that gem is on Netflix. Again, with such luminaries like Ja Rule and Amorion, when they're not saving the rec center, they're getting shot at by Batista and Rob Van Dam. Again, it's 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 things like this. But again, Batista is not the worst actor I've seen. He's been in a lot of shitty movies. Let's let let's let's go to the videotape. Let's look at Batista's IMDB so we can so we can see how many of these movies he's been in that are complete shit. So we're gonna go down the list here. He was in Riddick, which was okay. He was Brass Body and the Man with the Iron Fists. Not a bad movie. It was all right. He was also in the Scorpion 3, Battle for Redemption. Also, House of the Rising Sun, which was god-awful. He appeared on Chuck. He did that wonderful Wrong Side of Town. Uh, he popped up in Smallville as Aldar. And um, 
this was pretty much the majority of the of the movies that he popped up in. Again, Batista's IMDb, the rest of it is, you know, WWE Raw, SmackDown, WWE 2K14. He appears in a movie called L.A. Slasher as drug dealer number one. And, of course, the big one, Guardians of the Galaxy as Drax the Destroyer. So, Batista's IMDb is a who's who of fuckery. Now, before, before you say, Rich, why are you sharing Batista's works with me? I'll tell you why. Take the opportunity when you're bored to watch some of these movies. Because, again, he is not, he is not that shitty. The movies themselves are complete dog shit. But most times, he is not the worst part of those films. I'm just saying. As for the big show, we'll see. Maybe he can carry a movie by himself and legitimately have... Um, <laughs> he, well, you know, we'll see if he, if he can actually take up some screen time. Jay says, why are we punishing ourselves? And Slick responded with, Rich needs to pad out the wrestling segment. That's why. Actually, not really. There's only a little bit more wrestling news I want to get into, but nice save from Slick. Much appreciated. So, looks like Ric Flair is going to be officially coming back to TV. The Wrestling Observer was saying that Ric Flair is getting a full cardiovascular physical. He is trying to cut some weight, and he will be back on TV very soon. Now, the big question is, who is Ric Flair going to manage? So, according to the Wrestling Observer, they said that they're going to put Ric Flair back with The Miz, and then... Uh, in that same paragraph, they said that while that was rumored, they felt that the Miz was quote unquote damaged goods. According to the article, they were saying that Ric Flair wants to manage Dolph Ziggler. Interesting pairing. Personally, if any, if Ric Flair is back on television, he should be managing his daughter. It's that simple. He should be managing Charlotte because not only would it help her get over with the crowd, but it would be one of the first times that a diva has a manager versus it being the other way around. I feel it's been years since I've seen a diva managed by someone on WWE television. Am I wrong in saying that? I mean, I'd like to see Paul Heyman actually manage a diva eventually. Like, if anything, Paul Heyman should manage, like, Awesome Kong if she comes back. Just because that would that would work. Same thing with Ric Flair. Ric Flair doesn't need to manage a guy like Dolph Ziggler because Dolph Ziggler doesn't need a manager. The Miz doesn't need a manager either. He just needs to not be a face because the Miz as a face fucking sucks. That's it. If anything, Ric Flair, like I said, should manage Charlotte or he should be some sort of an authority figure because not for nothing, Brad Maddox is supposed to be the Raw GM and nobody's seen Brad Maddox on fucking television since WrestleMania. The only manager that I see is Vicky Guerrero running SmackDown. So at least if Ric Flair is going to be on my TV, have him do something useful. Not pair him with guys that don't need managers. That's all I'm saying. All right, so Daniel Bryan, of course, is probably going to be on the shelf for quite some time. And a lot of people have been talking about some of the things that have, you know, added to his injury. One of the big things that everybody talks about is Daniel Bryan's swan dive headbutt. Now, the swan dive headbutt um, has, you know, been used by guys like Chris Benoit, has been used by Harley Race, and a lot of these guys have suffered injuries due to that, or it has actually uh, been a major factor in their injury. So, what there's a lot of people are saying is that Daniel Bryan will probably not be using the diving headbutt or the missile drop kick anymore because of the additional pressure that it puts on his neck. Which is, which is weird to me because the diving headbutt was something that Daniel Bryan, I never saw him use it really often, 
but if that's something that's contributing to his neck injuries or is going to shorten his career in the ring, I definitely agree with him removing that from his arsenal. I think Daniel Bryan has way too many great wrestling moves to you know, be relegated to using those high-impact spots. One of Daniel Bryan's favorite moves that I liked was cattle mutilation, which he used to use in Ring of Honor. It was almost like a surfboard-type maneuver, which he's usually used as a transition move or as a move that teases a submission victory, but he doesn't use it as a finisher. I think the, the, the that finisher or seeing that used more often is a better move. It's a safer move. And I think would be a, something that the fans would like to see because it's something he used very effectively in Ring of Honor. All right, so WWE 2K15 is going to close us out, which is fitting since uh, we got our gaming segment up to, uh, up on tap next. Uh, WWE 2K15 is available for pre-order on Amazon. Of course, if you want to support MTR, you can use the My Take Radio Amazon store and pre-order WWE 2K15 that way. Anyway, as of right now, the expected launch for 2K15 on current and next-gen consoles is October 28th. The game will be launching on Xbox One, PlayStation 4, Xbox 360, and PlayStation 3. So there you have it. Originally, there was a rumor floating around that they were going to push the game to launch closer towards WrestleMania 31. As of right now, that could still happen, but... It looks like the pre-orders are a go, and the date that's that's pretty much a lock for the time being is October 28th. All right, so there you have it. That is going to wrap up this week's wrestling news. Let's get into some gaming. We got a lot to discuss, and I'm sure uh, Slick is probably going to join us because we got quite a bit to discuss on the gaming side of things. Let's get right to it, shall we? So before we get into the gaming news for this week, Slick just informed me that he posted one of the first of a new column that we're launching, aptly called Shut Up and Take My Money. Now this particular column, I was on the fence about it and I ran it by Slick and I decided that it would be a great column and it's going to focus on things that are on our radar that we think you guys are going to want to check out. Um, This could be anything from games, peripherals, uh, movies, clothes, whatever, any of the stuff that falls under the wheelhouse of stuff that we cover is going to be part of that segment. So uh, Slick's post is shut up and take my money. And it's going to be for watchdogs, which of course its launch is right around the corner. And Slick is extremely excited for it. He will be covering it on mytakeradio.com and we'll be reviewing it as well. So of course it is only fitting that he cracks open that new column, shut up and take my money. And it is with watchdogs. Make sure to check it out on mytakeradio.com. All right, so gaming this week was very interesting because of a couple of things. Um, first up, right after we wrapped the show th- last Thursday, uh, they announced Halo 5 Guardians. Now, the funny thing about that is that me, John Blade, Quark, Slick, we were joking about Halo and about all the crazy stuff that's coming with E3, and crazy as it may be, I, I-, I felt like fucking Nostradamus the next day Because they announced Halo 5 Guardians, which is expected to launch, excuse me, in the fall of 2015. Big shocker there. So here's the funny thing. Before before the announcement of Halo, 
a lot of people I'm friends with are like, oh, fucking Halo at E3, blah, blah, blah. You know, the, the usual people complaining about all the things that are, are is wrong with gaming. Too much monster, excuse me, making me burp, and I'm not trying not to burp on air because that would be fucking disgusting and rude. Anyway, um, as I was saying, the people that are like, oh, fucking Halo at E3 again for the 85th time, as soon as they announced Halo 5 Guardians, everybody went fucking crazy. Oh, it looks fucking sick. I I'm dying to see what it's going to be about, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, everybody turned the corner and everybody forgot everything that's wrong with Halo because Halo was announced for next gen. Whatever. Me, I, I like the Halo games. Is it the end-all, be-all? Is it the center of my universe? Absolutely not. I enjoy them. I think the stories are pretty good, but it's not something that's going to make me camp out or run to a store at midnight to play. It's just, it's just not me. Don't misunderstand. I like the Halo games, but it's not that serious. Now, I got to see um, Slick. Let me know if you're ready. I want to bring you on because I got a couple of things I want to get your opinion on for the segment. Let me know when you are prepped. So, as I said, the Halo Guardians announcement, of course, goes right along with the announcement of the Halo TV series, which you'll be able to see on the Xbox One as part of their original content block. So, again, get your, get your, get your pockets ready. Start saving Halo 5 Guardians 2015 and, of course, the Halo TV series on Xbox One. Slick is telling me he's ready to rock and roll. Let me bring him in. Slick, what's up, buddy? What's up, man? If we could only predict the lotto as well as we predicted Halo 5. I mean, it's kind of sad in a way because you want to be you want to be excited, you want to be surprised at E3 and announcing the 8 million Halo games like really that bad, huh? It's like, even if, even if I want to even if I were a fan of Halo, I'd be like really it's like you come out with a brand new console and you couldn't think of anything else to do. Yeah, and that's that's the kind of shit I'm saying. It's it's crazy because when you look at it, you say to yourself, "Oh man, you know, why why is it that another Halo gets so much fanfare yet there's so many other games that are coming that look just as good but you don't see?" Um before before I I you answer that. Just want to tell Isaiah he's in the Mixler chat. Whatever you tried to share, I did not see, so try and use the other chat on mtrlive.com. Anyway, as I was saying, you know, I read it the next day and I was like, wow, you know, like I, I felt I felt like um, like a real genuine reporter. <laughs> I felt like somebody that was of legitimate importance versus a guy who sits behind who screams into a microphone for three hours once a week. But, you know, all jokes aside, I was like, all right, Halo, we knew it was coming. Hooray. You know, pretty much because it's like what race are you going to exterminate now? Well, that's part of it, but um, I do feel uh, if oh, by the way, slick, if if what are you using a uh, headset or a uh, cell phone? Headset or a cell phone? Okay, feedback or something? No, no, no. Your your volume is a little low. You're a little quiet. I forgot to tell you. I had to I had to up your volume in post. But hold on a second. All right. But you know, before, I, while Slick gets that squared away, it, you know the Halo universe what, is great. What about now? Yeah, now you're better. You know the Halo, the Halo universe is great. I like that. I like that it's the 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 backbone of the Xbox universe, and that that's fantastic. But the problem I have with Halo is the same problem I have with Nintendo with what they're doing. They rely on the old stables, and again, the old stables are great, 
but you really got to you really got to try and expand and create new IPs. Now, this is what I was saying about Killer Instinct. Now, as much as you, you know, you dislike the the, the new Killer Instinct or whatever, I mean, you got to you got to come by and play it, but at, you know, regardless of that, at least it's something that's exclusive to the Xbox. You know what I mean? Like when you look at it, you go, "Oh shit, Xbox has Killer Instinct. That's their game." You know what I mean? It's something other than Master Chief shooting at crabs, Master Chief shooting at boats, Master Chief shooting at children, Master Chief shooting at shrimp. You know what I mean? Like it's 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 outside of the norm. Or at least if you're gonna do Halo, I mean it doesn't have to be Master Chief. Okay. Look at look at what what Sony did. You have Infamous Second Son, brand new character. Do something different with the game. I don't disagree. I just feel that up in your your volume a little more. I just feel I just feel that you could do another Halo game and focus on another character, but it continues to be exactly what I was saying. You shoot Covenant, you shoot whatever other aliens are are native to the Halo universe and that's it. Not that I'm not that I'm asking them to reinvent the wheel, but what I'm saying is take the time and build another IP. Build another, you know, build it build something more than just the usual. Now, based on the teaser poster, everybody's like, oh, there's somebody in new armor. Like, everybody was dissecting and trying to find all these messages in the art for Halo 5. I got better shit to do than play Nostradamus with fucking Master Chief. You know what I mean? Let me let me get some rune stones and throw them on the fucking screen and see if all will be revealed. Seriously, it's Master Chief shooting shit. What else do you want? And that's the thing. It's like... Microsoft's like their two biggest IPs are, are first person shooters or, or not necessarily first person but shooters. It's like it's two different takes on the same shit. Right. It's either Halo or Gears of War. I'm like And that's exactly it. I I'd like to see them come up with, you know, maybe a new adventure IP. You know, maybe something like that. Maybe a brand new adventure IP, maybe a brand new platformer. How about a mascot? How about a mascot? Besides Master Chief, like when you think of play, all right, let, let's let's do word association. I'm gonna name a character. You tell me if you consider them a mascot. Ready? Ready. Kratos. I would say he's a mascot. Nathan Drake. Definitely. Uh, Sackboy. Yes. Uh, Crash Bandicoot. No. Okay. So with that said, At least not anymore. Not not anymore. All right. So. I gave you those those characters. Uh, Buzz from the Buzz Quiz Game. Mascot? Mm, sort of. Okay. Uh, Cloud from Final Fantasy. For Square Enix, absolutely. There you go. Well, the reason I'm saying this is because you see how I'm naming all these people and, and you're, you're telling me right off the bat, mascot, mascot. Like, they're resonating. They're, if I say Sonic the Hedgehog, it's like mascot, Mario mascot when i go microsoft who's your mascot master chief that's it <laughs> you know you know what i'm saying like you need you need a stable of recognizable characters that can become the backbone of your brand like with nintendo mario luigi toad yoshi princess peach wario um kirby pikachu you know what i'm saying like you can go down at link and the list goes on and on and the same thing with sony like i said i named a couple of guys and right off the bat you're like yep Yep, yep, that guy works. With Microsoft, it's like you're relying on one... Well, you're relying on two, because Jay says, how about Gears of Halo? And it's funny, but you know what? That's it. 
Marcus Phoenix, and and Master Chief are your only two mascots. And again, as much as I, I feel those characters are great, they're not going to connect with everybody. Like, you need the, the kitty mascot to connect with kids because that's still a demographic that you want to take their money. You know what's even worse? Go ahead. The, the, the sort of mascots that they do have, pe- people don't associate them with Microsoft. You show somebody a picture of Fogor, a picture of Banjo and Kazooie, yep. or a picture of Joanna Dark, and who do they think of? Nintendo for, for Perfect Dark. Nintendo. Nintendo. Yep. You know, they, they think of Nintendo. My sister still plays Banjo and Kazooie on her 64. Still, to this day. So what does that tell you? And this is this is part of the problem. Now, again, that's not to say that Microsoft needs to go out and start cranking out games to create shitty mascots, but you got to start creating brand awareness, brand recognition, things that you can associate with your brand that automatically you go, yeah, that's a Microsoft thing. And as soon as that name is dropped, you're ready to buy that game. As soon as I go slick, there's going to be a brand new Uncharted. What are you going to say? Take my money. You know what I mean? And that's that's what I'm talking about, that you got to create these IPs. And don't get me wrong, like Infamous, you can say Infamous is a Sony IP. And while you're a fan and you wanted to buy the game, it's not being marketed as a mascot title. You know what I mean? It's being marketed as a first party title that people like. But when you hear those announcements, Sony has enough enough mascots that they can do that. Think about it. Sony created their own version of Smash Brothers, their own version of Smash Brothers, with a pretty decent roster of guys. What the fuck does that tell you? It tells you that something tells me that somebody at Sony's actually thinking. There you go. And that's and that and therein is is my issue. I, I, I again, this isn't a Halo bash. So before anybody sends me any sort of a message saying I'm disparaging Halo or Microsoft, I am not. I own an Xbox One. I'm a brand new Surface owner. I support Microsoft. I support Sony. Slick, you've been to my house. How much Sony shit do I have? A bit too much. <laughs> they, but, but, this is, but this is what I'm saying. I support these brands because I believe in their products. But I also, have, as, as somebody that spends money on their products, I got to call them out on their bullshit. And as much as I take Nintendo to task, I got to take Microsoft to task. The Xbox One, a.k.a. the Xbox backpedal, and the reason I call it that is because everything that they announced that pissed people off, they backpedaled on. You know, it's like, oh, look, the Kinect. We're going to take it out and make it 400 bucks. Great. Why? Because no one gives a shit. And this is what I'm saying. You got an unnecessary accessory that nobody gives a shit about, and you don't have an established library of first-party IPs that you can continuously get behind. Because think about it. They scooped up... The thing about the, the Xbox One Connect is that Nobody gave a shit about the original one. It didn't take off. And then you made it necessary on your new console. I will say this. The the snap functionality where you can have two an app running alongside your game, very fucking cool. Being able to Skype with somebody while you're playing a game, kind of cool. I tested it out. It was okay. It depends on the level of, of commitment to the service and the level of interaction with the person and whether it detracts from your game. But I could see that being a viable communication source. I think that's a good way to set up games like, hey, Slick, I'm going to Skype. I'm going to Skype you before we go on, you know, to talk about this live stream or whatever. It makes sense. You know what I mean? It's like the backbone of your system. But again, not 
necessary. Do I need to make Skype phone calls? No. <laughs> the live streaming component, fantastic. Do I need to call you? No, not really. And that's the kind of thing that, that gets me with Microsoft. As much like I said, as much as I want to support them, got to call them out on their bullshit too. My, my problem with the Xbox One is time for the fact that, you know, to, the, to this day, I don't have any games that I want to play on it. Was they, they focused on a bunch of shit that I don't care about. It's right. like, give me some games. Right. All that stuff is fantastic. And guess what? I, I still don't give a shit about it. Well, here's here's a funny thing. Some games to play. Here's a here, here's something really crazy. Everybody was talking about all oh, the PlayStation Four games look better and blah 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 blah. So Wolfenstein came out this week, and as you know, when Jake can can vouch, I messaged you guys like, "Hey, is anybody picking up Wolfenstein?" And whatever, like mo- most of you guys were like, "Nah." But the thing about it is, somebody put up a video comparing the graphics between PC, PlayStation Four, and Xbox One. At first glance, slick. I kid you not. Barely noticeable the differences. Barely. PC was running at 1080p. You know, PlayStation 4 was running at full resolution. Xbox One was running at full resolution. And when I saw it, I said to myself, oh shit, look at this. Brand new game came out and it's ev- it's on every console. So at this point, there's nothing that can that, that really is pushing you to pick up one console versus the other. I'm I'm serious. Like minus a couple of games, it's it's a level playing field. And it just boils down to preference. So when I saw that, I was like, all right, you know, PC Master Race is in full effect. You know, dudes are like, oh my fucking PC, look at this shit, it's fucking great. I can see a Nazi's eyeball fly out of the fucking screen when I shoot him in the face. All right, fantastic. But at the end of the day, dude, you're it's not it's nobody the only thing that's gaining the upper hand is one system being $100 cheaper than the other. And guess what? That's about to change. True. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, PlayStation's $100 cheaper. That's about to change. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that it's goes like back to the whole thing of the, the Xbox backpedal. Yep, the, the good old Xbox backpedal. What system did you buy? The backpedal, a.k.a. the one. <laughs> What'd you buy that? Why why you call it the backpedal though? Oh well, because every fucking thing Oh backpedaling, we're not doing this, we're not doing that. Oh, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that. Simple sim- simple as that. Now, the funny thing is, here's here's a great example. Minecraft. Minecraft, everybody loves the shit. Everybody loves Minecraft. Every kid I know, younger than me, adult and kid younger than me, they love that shit. I'm like, okay, so it's Legos. I never got the allure of Minecraft. Maybe it's just because I'm a fucking weirdo or a psychopath. Whatever the case is, not my thing. But check this out. Mojang announced that Xbox One, PlayStation 4, and the Vita are getting Minecraft. Xbox One is going to be 20 bucks, And for those that bought the Xbox 360 version, you can upgrade to $5 for a minimum after the release date. Now, obviously, you're going to get a significant change, bigger worlds, um, a whole bunch of new title updates, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's not going to be any cross-platform play. So for anybody that was hoping for that, sadly, that's not going to happen. But the reason I bring this up is because if Microsoft were smart, why do you think that they could have bought exclusivity rights to Minecraft and that could have been their title? For the console, yeah. Yep. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like on PC forever. Right, it's been on PC forever, but for the console, you can only play Minecraft on Xbox. You get what I'm saying? Like, like there's a perfect opportunity for, for them to say, listen, Minecraft is our shit. Nope, everybody has it. Again, 
What's going to make you want to choose one system over the other at this point? At this point, I don't know. I mean, it's it's ultimately going to boil down to games. And right now, you know, from my point of view, you know, I'm not saying one company is better than the other, but Sony has the edge on, what do you call it, um, exclusives. Right. Here's the funny thing. Sony is relaunching SingStar. Again, not revolutionary, but their IP. You know? SingStar. Not not the end-all, be-all, but their IP. And it's something that, you know, people will play. Like, people will sit down when they have a bunch of people there and play some fucking SingStar. There you go. a bunch of chicks in there and, you know, you know either one of them has a PS4 or, you know, maybe their brother does or something. They'll play some fucking SingStar. Well, the other reason I wanted to bring you on is I wanted to talk to you about Drive Club. And, um... You know, we've been talking about, you've been talking about Drive Club and, and you've been voicing your excitement for the game. And they were talking about a lot of the microtransactions, which are going to allow players to bypass level progression to unlock new cars. However, the microtransactions are unobtrusive because, you know, it, 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 they're, they're hidden in the sense that you can still gain the shit. You just got to work harder. Now, with that said, I know you know you like you're you're a big Gran Turismo fan. You were excited about Drive Club. Where do you stand with microtransactions for games like this, for simulations like this? Microtransactions that are basically cheats. Basically, you know, I would not be a fan, and I would love it if a game like that would mark a player in some way, letting you know that that person bought the hot car versus earning it you know, by purchasing it or winning it in the race or something. Okay. Now why, now why, now why would you want that? Why would you want that sort of a, of a, um, of a moniker for a person? Like what would that do for the game as a whole? If that person just bought the car versus unlocking it, it's not changing the gameplay. I feel, but again, you know, I'm curious to see how, why, why you would, why you would choose that. Because basically, I, I mean, I feel like, Let's say, not not you per se, but, you know, somebody that I play constantly online and, you know, let's say we're having, let's, let's say we're having the, the equivalent of a wrestling feud going okay. back and forth, challenging each other, and, you know, maybe I, I've won like five out of the last seven races or something, and all of a sudden this guy starts kicking my ass, he has better cars, I'm like, where the hell did he get these cars from right. if I keep kicking his ass? Okay. Yeah, because he dropped he dropped ten twenty dollars and bought these cars. Okay, he didn't earn them. But do you think at that point? I mean, you know, sorry, go ahead, go ahead. no. What I was going to say is, do you think at that point though it becomes a question of the cars or the skill? Because a good driver in a driving game is a good driver regardless. You know, a good driver is a good driver regardless. But if you have, let's say, a rain track, okay, that is, let's say, seventy percent straightaway. It becomes less about driving skill and more about speed. Okay. If my car maxes out at let's say two ten, and yours does two fifty, and most of the track is freaking straightaway. Right. It's all about speed. Okay. I mean, if you got like a Le Mans track where it's all freaking hairpin turns and shit, yeah, it's about driving. But you know, there's always it always comes back to the speed track. All right. I mean, it's it's an understandable argument. You know what it is for me. The my 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 racing game fanboy comes out for 
you know, games like Burnout, not not simulations, you know, like more arcade type shit, because it's just stuff that you could just plug in and play. Plus, I don't feel like going through Gran Turismo and getting my fucking license. You know what I mean? Like for me, that's not that's not it for me. Like I've played Project Gotham and I've played on Xbox One and um, beautiful game, beautiful fucking game. But again, just not something that jumps out for me now. Jay says if a player bought it, the car should have less features than if a player earned it. For example, max speed is 100 as opposed to 135 if it was earned. What do you think about that? Yeah, or at least lock up the, you know, sort of lock the, um, lim- limit the amount of um, upgrades you can get for the car. Okay. Something along the lines of what Jay is saying. Because, I mean, I'll, I'll even put it in better terms for you. Let's say... You know, when, when Ultra Street Fighter 4 comes out. Right. Let's say that, um, I don't know, they they, unlock, they they put in some super alien Akuma or some shit like that. Okay. And you gotta, like, beat Goken, like, ten times to unlock him or some shit. Okay. Versus some kid who just spends ten bucks and unlocks it. See, it's weird. It's just uh, the concept, even using the burnout type thing. Because you have to you have to unlock these cars to you know you have to get a certain point in the game to unlock the better cars and stuff. Right. Versus somebody who just you know buys the car pack. Right. I understand. I mean the the thing with me with regards to that. And I, it's funny you use Street Fighter. Street Fighter is very weird because all those super powerful fucking characters. There's a beautiful balance in the sense that for as powerful as they are, you hit them six times and they're dead, you know, because the damage rate is increased. So that's the sacrifice you make. Now, that kind of goes to what you were saying about the trade-off of, oh, you know, the, the this game, I finished playing it, I unlocked all the cars, and this guy bought the game, he paid the 20 bucks, got the season pass, got everything, and he was ready to rock and roll. Now, I do I do agree that, you know, you should play the game through and try your hardest to unlock the shit. I do, I am concerned, though, because if you play the game through and you get stuck or whatever, and you can't get X car and you buy it for, for two bucks, that you're going to, you know, the person might be unjustly penalized. Again, you're, you're, you know, what you and Jay came up with, I, I agree that that's a good way to look at it, or maybe just a badge letting you know that, you know, like a P next to the, to the car saying that it was purchased, but, you know, it's just weird because then, you know, the, the many may suffer for the sins of the few. It's, it's definitely a, a, a well, you know, I can, I can even give you a, a more realistic um, example that is something that I really have seen. Okay. Fortunately, this was not something that, that could be bought. Right. It, it was, but it, you had to earn the right to buy it. Grand Theft Auto Five Online. Okay. The weapons, the weapons that you might have in the in a single-player game, you, you don't immediately have in the online. When you start that game, you have a pistol. As okay. you level up, you unlock the right to, the right to go into ammunition and purchase better guns. Okay. To get... Like the the rocket launcher and the minigun, which you know basically some of the most powerful weapons in the game. Of absolutely, you have to get to like level one hundred and level one hundred twenty, respectively. You gotta get to level one twenty to be able to buy a minigun. Okay. Which, aside from the aside from the rocket launcher, is one of the few ways to quickly take down a helicopter. Right. I think I think I, I I get the gist of where you're coming from. See, microtransactions have always been one of those things where if it, it, it in certain aspects it really does look like um 
like a bit of laziness from the developer. Because they're like, ah, we could just leave it there and sell it as DLC. And, and people get pissed off. I mean, a lot of people, you remember in Ultimate Marvel vs. Capcom 3, when they announced all those other characters, people are like, yo, they're on the disc, you know? Like, I'm paying to unlock right. them. And, and I can understand the frustrations with that. Like, microtransactions, there's, there's good and bad in that respect. But with Drive Club, I brought it up because racing games, especially after Gran Turismo, there's so much nickel and diming. Oh, you want chrome rims? A dollar. Oh, you want this particular paint? A dollar. Oh, you want these decals? Two bucks. Oh, you want this? A dollar. You know what I mean? And I just feel in that respect, it truly sucks the enjoyment out of it because you're going to play the game. And again, racing games, I kind of feel that, and correct me if I'm wrong, they kind of fall in the same genre with sports games where they have a very limited shelf life. Yes, but I don't mind the microtransactions so much so long as you can... You have the choice to be the scrub, and I said it, the scrub who pays for that shit and just gets it right off the back. And doesn't put in the or work. Or you can, you can be the real player who earns it. Okay. I, 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 have no, I have no disagreement with that, but I want, like I said, it was something I brought, I wanted to bring to your attention because that's a game that has a lot of press behind it. Everybody's been talking about it. You know, every time there's a delay or an announcement, people get all pissed off. There's piss and vinegar. So I wanted to ask you about that because the microtransactions are, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a slippery slope. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about is, um, I got an email from Groupon and you know, my wife uses Groupon quite a bit. But Groupon has, get this, a refurbished Nintendo Wii U 32 gig console with Nintendo Land for 200 bucks. Crazy, right? Not bad. I mean, we are not one for this stuff, but somebody wants to go for it. Well, you know what gets me? It's it's not every day that you get an email from, all, of all places, Groupon for Groupon. a console. You get what I'm saying, and that's why I brought it up. Because think about it: when I get when I get emails like I, I you know, I have my RSS feeds for Fat Wallet and Tech Bargains, and I'll see like, uh, you know, I've been seeing a lot more people selling refurbished Xbox Ones for three seventy nine. I saw one that linked to eBay, like an eBay store that was selling uh, refurbished PS4s for um, three twenty five. And I said to myself, three years ago, this would not have been common you see what i'm saying like it's so weird because they're not doing price drops but you could sell refurbished shit to your heart's desire you know what i mean it's just weird like especially with a console like nintendo's which isn't super expensive my weird thing on like a refurbished xbox one or ps4 like what the hell did you do to this thing these things are brand new. How is it broken already? Well, here's the here's the thing about refurbished, and I learned about this um, talking to to a guy I know that works at Best Buy. Refurbished can sometimes mean that the person got it, they returned it, and they didn't return all the accessories. So they put in some new accessories, reboxed it, and it's refurbished. In essence, it's new, but it might be missing, say, the controller or an adapter or whatever. I mean, it's weird because, the, for instance, when I was going to get my Surface, there was a, a deal that they did where a 64-gig Surface was being sold by a company called Remanufactured USA, and they were selling them for, I think it was one one ninety nine or one seventy nine, 64-gig tablet, whatever, and people were saying that sometimes they'd get it and the shit was just brand new, like brand new. 
Like, still had plastic on the screen. All the other shit just came in a different box. So, you know, refurbished is weird because a lot of people say that refurbished gets rebuilt with better quality control. I mean, I've bought refurbished stuff and I've never had an incident, but it's just weird to see it becoming so common with next-gen consoles, you know? I understand what you're saying, but after you saying that, I don't think it's so weird just because people don't want to pay full price. People do anything not to pay full price these days. Well, yeah, that that's understandable, but think about it. Like when Xbox 360 and PlayStation 3 came out, you could barely find a regular system. You get what I'm saying? Much less a refurbished one. Yeah, you might find somebody selling used one on Craigslist or somebody may take one into GameStop, you know, maybe a, an angry mother who wanted to sell it out, out from under their kid. But you get what I'm saying? Like, it wasn't so commonplace. Like, I've been receiving emails the last couple of weeks from, like I said, places like Tech Bargains, Fat Wallet, whatever. And it's like, oh, get this PS4 for $349. i am like, really? Like, it's just, it's just not something I'd expect to see with with consoles of this caliber no disrespect to the wii u but even the wii u it's like yeah you could buy it for 250 and you're getting it for 200 I hear you. very very odd but i figured i'd run that by you just to see um you know what what you had to share about it but other than that it was a, a pretty light week uh gaming wise unless there's uh there's anything you want to share we could uh wrap this up there is something i want to share Go ahead, sir. Because it's something that you always mention just about every week when we talk about Nintendo. Go ahead. Now, this is this is a rumor, so take it with a grain of salt. Right. But it, because, you know, anybody could make this up with a little bit of Photoshop, but it is on what appears to be an official, you know, sheet of Nintendo paper. Okay. It's, the header says, Nintendo Digital Event at E3, June 10th, 2014. Okay. It has a list of announcements, what console is for, the expected release dates, and, you know, the speaker that's supposed to cover it. Okay. First thing on there is Super Smash Brothers for 3DS and Wii U. Right. It says 3DS July 18th, Wii U December 2014. Huh. Pokemon Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire, November right. 2014 for the 3DS. Hmm. Bayonetta 2 for the Wii U, August 15, 2014. Going back to you thinking that the game was already out. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) I legit thought that shit was out, dude. But again, it felt like it was a launch. You know, like, oh, this game's going to launch with the system. What else you got? Shin Megami Tensei Cross Fire Emblem, which I guess is a game sort of like Project Cross Zone. Right. For the Wii U, August 29th. Okay. X from Monolith Soft, which is that that, um, RPG that was shown that looks fantastic with all the the mechs and everything. Wii U, September 12th. Okay. Third-party games lineup, which it just says third-party game lineup for the Wii U and 3DS, because I guess there's multiple games. Then there's the Wii U Virtual Console GameCube lineup, Super Smash Bros. Melee, F-Zero GX, Super Mario Sunshine, Luigi's Mansion, and Mario Kart Double Dash for the Wii U June 10th. Oh, shit. That's pretty fucking solid. That's pretty solid right there. I mean, it's it's old shit, but but it's classics that'll extend the shelf life of your system that'll make you actually blow the dust off of it, you know? (laughs) <laughs> oh, let me get the Swiffer and wipe this fucker down since I haven't turned it on in like six months. 
Hyrule Warriors, which yep. as much as it Legend of Zelda meets Dynasty Warriors does look fantastic. And it does. Impa has been confirmed as a playable character. Nice. June 27th. June 27th. Mario Party U. Oh, Slick drop out or did I drop out? I think I dropped out. Hold on a minute, guys. Hold on a second. Fucking Blog Talk Radio pulling their shit. It seems to become a once-a-week thing. Since it appears you're calling back into a live show, we are reconnecting you now. Ah, Blog Talk Radio. What was that? Go ahead. The call dropped. I said, no, I'm saying this could be rumor. It says it's what's on tap for E3 for Nintendo June 10th. And it mentions, you know, the speakers, the Toro Iwata, Masahiro Sakurai, and of course, Reggie Fizami, uh, you know, Bill Trennan. So, I mean, it looks legit. If it's legit, I mean, considering you were saying, saying how they need to get back to some first-party titles, what do you think? I think I think taking that rumor and I want, you know, I want to I want to kind of, you know, fertilize it a little bit, nurture it, grow it. I think if that if that's what they're bringing to the party, I think it's going to make people definitely want to pick up a Wii U and if they were smart, price drop. I uh, you know, well, dro- it's, I mean the console's, you know, it's still not even a, is it even a full year old? I believe so. I think it turns a full year old uh, that first week of November, am I right? Maybe. Uh, I gotta but, double check. <laughs> but 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 think about this. Like I have the console. Think about this. You the, the console. The console. It, let's be realistic, dude. We talked about their losses. It's a fucking albatross. It's a fucking anchor right now. So cut your losses, lower it a little bit, move more units, and then just just flood the market with good games. Make people want to buy the shit. You know what I mean? Like take a bit of take yeah. take an L, you know, take a L on this one and move more games, move more product. Dude, if they dropped it down to 1 199 regular or you know, 199's a a sweet spot, you know, with a with a game, you throw in one fucking game and call it a day. It doesn't even have to be something super new. Just like, "Oh, get a, get get the Wii U Mario Brothers bundle and throw in a Mario game." Don't matter what it is, but it's fucking Mario, you know. Go back, go back to the to the formula that used to work. You buy a Super NES, it comes with Super Mario World. You know, you buy a Nintendo sixty four, it comes with Super Mario sixty four. You get what I'm saying? Just go back to what works. Fuck it. You guys aren't making any money with it, so you might as well just move units and make the money back on software, and then go back into the lab and get ready to bring out the big guns to compete with the PS four and the Xbox One. That's it. You're gonna make money with the you're gonna make money with the 3ds. You're gonna make money with the with the games. You're gonna make money with virtual console. So fuck it, you know. Drop the price, take the L, and 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 get back out there. Get back out there, guns blazing. You know. Well, they they are trying because. Yep, I, I, I can see that about this because I, I pre-ordered Mario Kart to pick up next Friday, and apparently, if you pre-ordered it, when you pick up the game, you know, you you register it on Nintendo.com. And you can get one of four one of four titles that you can download on the the Wii U. There you go. I know it's um, Wind Waker HD. I think Pikmin, Luigi's Mansion, and one other title. Nice. So I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, they're they're rewarding you for you know support their games. And that's what I mean. Like that's one of those things where Nintendo just needs that little push. 
Like, if what you're saying is true, which I, I, I pray it is, again, I want everybody to succeed. We all benefit. If that's legit, dude, I'll buy a fucking Wii U. Well, it says June 10th. That's, you know, just a couple of weeks away, and we'll find out. Yep, and of course, we will probably have some sort of an E3 pre-E3 show or post-E3 show, um, obviously with with the with the MTR team and maybe a couple of other guests to, to break it down. But, dude, that, that, that announcement even if it's a rumor, was a breath of fresh air. Like, it's something, you know? It gives me something, some hope that I can talk about this stuff, you know? So hopefully Thursday, June 12th, we'll have some, you know, some good news for <laughs> listeners. Yeah, hopefully hopefully June 12th will be good news and, you know, not, not, not what we're used to, not the... Uh, well, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. Yeah, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully it's not that. Hopefully it's like, yo, they're going to drop the price. We're going to get some awesome fucking games. Who's ready to buy a fucking Wii U right now? Let's rock and roll. Dude, I'm I'm ready. My body is ready. <laughs> Sounds good. He comes out. Whoever buys the millions Wii U gets my chin. <laughs> my butt chin is up for sale, damn it. That's it. Fuck that. Whoever, whoever, whoever buys the one millionth Wii U gets flown to Japan and gets to go to a massage parlor with Satoru Iwata. <laughs> uh, gets to go to a massage parlor with Iwata-san. It'll be like some twelve-year-old kid. Fuck it. <laughs> dressed like Princess Peach. There you go. Dressed like dressed like Princess Peach. By the way, before before we wrap it up, did you see what I shared about John Oliver's uh, Nintendo um, same-sex? issue because they put out that game that didn't allow <laughs> that didn't allow gamers to you know marry a partner of the same sex and um you know people nintendo put out a statement it was it was funny as shit and the video that he put for that segment i'm not i'm not a late night guy but dude it it it, it is prime material for you to see you need to see it it is ridiculous i'm gonna have to check that out after the show yeah it's on the fan page all right Anything else you want to add, my friend? No, I'm good for that. All right. You can find Slick on Twitter at MTR Slick. And as always, on our Facebook fan page, he'll always uh, interact with you there. And, of course, on MyTakeRadio.com. All right, dude. I will catch you later. All right, man. Peace. Peace. And there goes Slick. And that is the close of this week's gaming news. Let's get into some entertainment Boy, do we got some stuff to discuss, including uh, David Goyer making some interesting comments about She-Hulk that's got everybody up in a tizzy. Let's get into it, shall we? All right, so on the entertainment side of things, we're going to open up with some small screen news. First up, we talked about a couple of weeks back about the Friday the 13th TV series that's going to be coming back focusing on Jason Voorhees. Well, as of right now, it looks like they're going to really try and focus on Jason's origins and also on the impact that he's had in different areas of the series. So what's going to happen is there some people are saying it's going to be like time traveling Jason stories, but I think it's going to be almost on on par with an anthology, just telling different stories with regards to Jason's character. Now that's something that's been tossed around a little bit. Um, bloody disgusting. Did an, an interview with, um, 
Sean Cunningham, who's going to be the executive producer on the TV series. And he said, you know, with regards to what kind of Jason's going to appear, he said Jason Voorhees will be an integral part of the series and he will definitely be in character. As we wrestle with the passage of time, a new issue became how did Jason age? Did he age at all? Or is he the same as he was back in the day? Fortunately, our special effects team led by Bill Basso are on the case. Their work is amazing, and the end result is both disturbing and fitting with the story we're hoping to tell. Of course, they'll be releasing more information around Comic-Con. I'm actually very interested to see how they plan on doing a TV series with Jason Voorhees kind of being the main focus. I mean, they could do something similar to what they're doing with Sleepy Hollow, where the Headless Horseman is part of the story, but he's not the main part of the story and kind of go that route. I'm definitely curious to see how they do, and I will be monitoring it very closely. As I've said, once I hear more, I will share it with you guys. On some other on the uh, on some other small screen news, of course, the Agent Carter TV series uh, following um, you know Haley Atwell from Captain America as Agent Peggy Carter will be happening as a bridge series between the fall finale and the winter premiere of Marvel's Agents of Shield. It looks like they're going to go with about eight episodes, which um, again, it, I think it's a, it's a it's a solid number of episodes for a series following a character. Not to say that Peggy Carter is not an interesting character, but you're you're dealing with characters in 1946 and the origins of Shield, and you can only do so much. I don't think it, it would make a great ongoing series, but as a small bridge series for Agents of Shield, I think there's a great formula there. Plus you can take that as an opportunity to introduce other characters from Marvel continuity in some other roles that are you know, that may affect the the, the rest of the universe, but are not going to detract from any other product, you know, like Baron Strucker, you can kind of reference him inadvertently on the sly, same thing with the Red Skull, without going completely, you know, full, oh, we got to have this guy on screen, but the same thing they do with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., some subtle name dropping, some things to keep the characters out there, maybe have Aram Zola, the guy, the actor that played Aram Zola, pop up once or twice on an episode. I think it's 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 a great idea to do these small bridge series to kind of bring a, a cohesive Marvel universe together. Again, it's something that I'm going to be watching with much interest. Hopefully the the Agent Carter series is better than the first few episodes of Agents of Shield because it definitely was a slow burn with Agents of Shield and like I said before, I was definitely on the verge of pulling the plug, so we'll see if Agent Carter can start off with a bang and keep my interest. Let's talk box office totals. It should come as no surprise that the King of Monsters is number one. $93.2 million out of the gate. It is it is ridiculous. It is um, you know, it is pretty much the second highest opening of 2014 behind Captain America and the Winter Soldier. There you have it. It is ridiculous. The film had a budget of $160 million, and um, the fact that it's already close to that and continuing to grow is incredibly impressive. I have a feeling that Godzilla's number one slot may be in jeopardy this weekend as X-Men Days of Future Past hits the big screen, but even still, your your top four are probably going to be Days of Future Past, Godzilla, Neighbors, and maybe Amazing Spider-Man, and you can interchange those as you see fit. Again, it's a great 
It's a great time to be a moviegoer. I'm pumped to see X-Men Days of Future Pass. You'll probably see a review uh, from myself on MyTakeRadio.com over the weekend. Uh, Maybe if I go see it uh, with John Blade, who is rumored to be coming down uh, from PA, maybe we'll do an audio review, a minority film report for X-Men Days of Future Past, just to resurrect uh, that particular segment that we used to release for MTR app owners. So be on the lookout for that, either as a written review or as an audio review sometime this weekend. So on the DVD and Blu-ray side of things, get this. Um, Last time we were talking about DVDs and Blu-rays, I said that Frozen was the top-selling Blu-ray movie for the last month or so. Well, here's the thing that gets me. It was dethroned by, of all films, I, Frankenstein. I, Frankenstein was the number one Blu-ray movie that sold um, during the week ending May 18th. Now, this this is very strange to me because I, Frankenstein, wasn't that fucking great. So, for it to dethrone Frozen, is it because the effects are really good? Is it just because the movie caught a second life um, during during the, the home video release? I'm really curious. If any of you guys in the chat have seen I, Frankenstein, let me know if, if you thought it was good. I really tried to avoid it because I felt it was such a blatant underworld ripoff that I didn't even want to touch it. But the fact that it dethroned frozen is definitely a little interesting. So if you've seen it, I definitely want to hear from you guys. Cause I do want to check it out again. I've never, I've never seen it. I'm, I'm going into it very cold, but for it to dethrone frozen and take the number one Blu-ray spot, something has to be going on. So again, if you've seen it, feel free to drop me a line on Twitter at my take radio or on the Facebook fan page. I definitely would love to hear from you and who knows you might motivate me to check it out and I may throw some sort of a review together again. It's I Frankenstein haven't seen it. If you've seen it, drop me a line. I'm curious to see how good it is. And of course the next bit of news shouldn't surprise any of you. Of course, Godzilla destroying the box office this weekend and a sequel is inevitable. And of course it has been greenlit. But not only that, but Gareth Edwards also was chosen to do one of the Star Wars spinoffs. So he's definitely very busy. Now, the thing with Godzilla is a sequel. There's a lot of things you can do. I really and I've and I said this in my review. I'd like to see a more prevalent monster, a monster that's more in line with just just having a, a bigger presence. I'm not saying go and bring Gigan to the big screen. But I do feel that you can do a lot. I mean, the, the best monster to, to see on the big screen in a modern incarnation alongside Godzilla is, excuse me, one of my favorites, King Ghidorah. King Ghidorah is an awesome character. And I think the amount of effects that they've applied to Godzilla would just look amazing with a giant three-headed dragon. I just feel that there's there's something they can do there with that character. Um, I'm not saying that you got to go with the crazy alien dragon uh, scenario, but considering that Godzilla is an alpha predator, what happens when Godzilla's awakened? You know, when he, when, when, now that he's awakened and all of a sudden there's a bigger predator that wants to destroy Godzilla. I mean, that in and of itself is just a crazy notion. Like there was a little Mothra Easter egg, which you definitely should be on the lookout for. Cause it's a blink and you'll, and you'll miss it moment. But I do feel that if you're going to go that route, that Godzilla is this alpha predator, what happens when the hunter becomes the hunted? 
And like I said, King Ghidorah is a great character for that. Don't go crazy like Space Godzilla or any of that, but King Ghidorah just going that route would look amazing on the big screen. But again, I'm sure it'll be at least two years before we see another Godzilla film on the big screen, but I would definitely love to see that. So this next bit of news is going to upset quite a few of you. At the Cannes Film Festival, Sylvester Stallone revealed that Expendables 3 will be rated PG-13. Now, if you guys remember, when Expendables 2 was rumored to be PG-13, there was a lot of backlash and a lot of complaining, and as a result, Expendables 2 was rated R, and people were complaining about the CG blood and how stupid it looked, etc., etc. So Stallone was saying that that the reason that they're going to go with a PG-13 rating is that they want to reach as many people as possible, and he said that it's very close to an R rating. But he said... You know, we owe it to the next generation. We thought we'd join that club for a while. Now, I'm going to reserve judgment, but a, a movie with, with the, the caliber of actors that are known for just R-rated action flicks, and you're going to go the PG-13 route, It there's a part of me that feels that it's going to be a recipe for a disaster. I'd like to be wrong in this instance, but right now, I'm just a little concerned with the outcome. But again, Expendables 3 will hit theaters this summer, so of course, we will be reporting on that when it occurs. Hugh Jackman has been in the news a lot this week. A a lot. Of course, with X-Men Days of Future Past right around the corner, the cast is making the rounds on all the late night talk shows, all the interviews, but it was funny because he did an interview and um, it was, he did the interview with IGN and he was talking about that he would love to see Wolverine involved with the Avengers and that he would give anything for Wolverine to fight the Hulk on the big screen. He said, I would love to see him as part of the Avengers because there's a great dysfunction amongst that team. And I think Wolverine would fit right into that. He'd like that. When asked which Avenger Wolverine would fight first, Jackman promptly answered that it would no doubt be the Hulk. And I have to agree. I mean, Wolverine's been an Avenger in countless books. He was a member of the Fantastic Four alongside Spider-Man, Ghost Rider, and the Grey Hulk. But seeing Wolverine and the Hulk mix it up on screen would be amazing. And the funny thing is, Hugh Jackman, he's he's been flip-flopping about his involvement in continuing to play Wolverine in other films, but I would love to see it. Even if Marvel and Fox have to split the profits, or you got to give Fox a percentage of the profits, it's the kind of stuff that just makes people want to, that makes people just salivate. You know, you can you can tell people, you can tell people that, Hey, Wolverine and the Hulk are going to square off. And it doesn't matter whether you're a casual comic fan, a seasoned comic veteran, or just a kid that, that, that watches cartoons. You know that when the Hulk and Wolverine are on screen, the chemistry is amazing. Add to that the fact that Hugh Jackman is a solid actor, and he really does a good job playing Wolverine. It's taken a little bit of adjustment, and don't get me wrong, you know, when him playing crying Wolverine in X-Men Origins versus, you know, how he played him in the Wolverine itself, it was it was definitely a, a turn for the better. Now, Wolverine sharing screen time with the Hulk would be phenomenal. And again, I'm, I'm always annoyed at the fact that people say, oh, well, you know, it's different studios, blah, blah, blah. But like Hugh Jackman said, the biggest denominator, the easiest negotiator is the almighty dollar. You mean to tell me that you can't say, oh, you know, we'll give you 5% of the gross or 
whatever the case is, that arrangements can be made. There's no better example of like who framed Roger Rabbit. You had Hanna-Barbera characters, you had Disney characters, all on one screen at one time. You guys remember that. And again, these were characters that were put in one film for the love of, of the story, but even so, if you can do it with Roger Rabbit, why can't you do it within the Marvel Universe? It, it just, I, I don't understand. I mean, there's a lot of money that can change hands and everybody would win. We're talking about billion dollar franchises, franchises that crank out money that it's basically the money's printed at the drop of a hat and you're, 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 you know, you're stonewalling because you own the rights to this character. That's great. But in terms of the grand scheme of things, there's enough money for everybody. And Hugh Jackman has been extremely vocal in every interview he does that he would like Wolverine to be involved in the overall Marvel Universe. And you know what? Wolverine's involvement in the overall Marvel Universe is something that has existed in every book. Wolverine and Captain America have a history. Wolverine and Black Widow have a history. Wolverine and the Hulk have a history. And this is the kind of stuff that when you bring it to the big screen, it just it just makes your inner fanboy extremely happy. That's all I'm saying. But again, who knows? Maybe maybe Hugh Jackman can succeed in where others have failed and kind of bring everybody together. But we'll see what happens. So I want to talk about Man of Steel 2 or Superman versus Batman now known as Superman versus Batman, well, Batman versus Superman Dawn of Justice. For those of you that don't know, the film was recently rechristened with this title this week. Um, a couple of things bother me. Uh, number one, it's a sequel for Superman for Man of Steel, yet Batman's name is first. Just it, it, not it, it's semantics, but it's semantics that bother me because it's like it's the sequel to Man of Steel. It's about Superman. But again, small gripe, but something that definitely bugs me to, you know, just just more so than it should. The funny thing is that um, Kevin Smith did an interview recently on his Hollywood. Well, he um, he has a, a podcast called the Hollywood Babylon, and they were talking about the Batman costume. And he said that the picture that people saw was a black and white photo and that the real Batman costume is the same color as the costume Batman wore in the Dark Knight Returns, which if you've read that book, you know it's like a darker gray and a blue. So it's definitely very interesting that they're going to go that route with the with the gray and the blue versus Batman's signature black. He did say, he's like, hey, it's a monochrome photo, so you know everything is all one color. But he did say that if you want to get a good look at it, just look at the Dark Knight Returns costume and, you know, that's, you know, that, that's what you're going to see on screen. Uh, definitely very cool either way. Uh, Strider says, regardless if it's a sequel to Superman, nobody gives a shit about him. You could put three Supermans in front of the title, but people only care about Batman. Damn, that's a little harsh. But you know what? As harsh as that is, Strider, Strider is right. Like I said, it bothers me because it's a sequel to Man of Steel, but... Batman will always trump Superman just because people like Batman more, which is weird because I know a lot of people that I ask, oh, why don't you like Superman? They're just like, he's so one dimensional versus Batman. He has so many layers, you know, it's it's weird, but that seems to be what a lot of people say and to each his own. I like Batman because he has the best superpower. 
money. <laughs> you know that that it's a big joke, but it's a good superpower. And and Batman's stories are just so layered, and his rogues gallery is so so vast. And not only that, but there's there's so many underlying messages between you know his connection with Damian Wayne, his son or with Tim Drake, or with Dick Grayson, or his relationship with Commissioner Gordon, or when he started franchising the Batman name with Batman Inc., and, and his camaraderie with other like-minded vigilantes. It was it was really, really great stuff, and for some reason, those kind of stories you're not getting out of Superman. Out of Superman, you get his issues with Lex Luthor, dealing with Supergirl, punching Darkseid in the face, um... You know, Mr. Mr. Mitzelplick, if you want to get really obscure, Crypto the Super Dog, Streaky the Super Cat. You know, like you're not you're not getting these super layered deep stories. I think now that he's been in a relationship with Wonder Woman in the last couple of books, I think that's one of the few times that I've seen Superman stories that have some real substance to them. Most of them are pretty paint by numbers, honestly. But it's definitely cool to hear that they're gonna use um the color scheme from the Dark Knight Returns. Now, Jay says, you talk about Wolverine's connection with others. Batman has issues with everybody. It's true. Batman, The if you've seen Justice League Doom, which is a, an awesome animated, uh, an awesome animated um, DC movie, one of the things I liked about that was the fact that Batman knew how to defeat every member of the Justice League, which was tremendous because there was actually a book... Um, that had the same storyline and there was a guy named Prometheus who stole Batman's information and he was able to defeat each member of the Justice League. So again, it's very crazy that you have a guy with no superpowers that knows every weakness for every member of his team and that every one of those guys are infinitely stronger than he is. It is it, that's what I mean with regards to like multi-layered storytelling. Batman's stories are out of this world with regards to that. I think knowing that you have no superpowers and you can defeat your entire team is, is it's huge. It's amazing. But if you want proof of that, like I said, it's an animated movie. It's on Netflix. Watch justice league doom. And you'll see that Batman, Batman's a bad fucking dude when it comes to shit like that. So I'm curious to see how, how that interaction is going to play out with Superman on the big screen. So a few months back, we talked about that they were going to be doing a new incarnation of it. Now, if you remember, it was a Stephen King book that they made into a miniseries on TV about Pennywise, the clown who killed children. And, um, you know, it was it was weird because at the time when this show came out, when this miniseries came out, I really felt it was ahead of its time. It was very scary. And we were really touching on a taboo subject about, you know, monsters killing children. Because we've always been very weird with that stuff. You know, like you rarely see uh, a lot of films where children legitimately get killed. Think about it. Like I felt when I saw Aliens versus Predator 2, there was a lot of a lot of scene. you know, some scenes where kids legitimately got killed and they legitimately showed it. And I was just like, wow, that's that's a little crazy. I've always it, it's always been weird watching kids get killed on screen or off screen, just, just the murder of kids in general. When you're watching it on any medium, it's always a little strange. So when it came out and I saw it on, you know, I was, I was fairly young when, when that, when that miniseries came out and I read the book as well. It's really, really crazy 
that you would you would have this type of a TV series and it would be as scary as it was. Now, what they're going to do is they're going to actually split the film into two. They're going to split the brand new movie into two separate films. The first movie is going to follow the, 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 the story from the children's point of view. And then the second film is going to focus on the adults. My, kind, of, kind of in line with what they did with the, with the miniseries. But they're going to be able to split that up for the big screen. Now, to a degree, I'm concerned because it's just, you know, it's, it's a taboo subject. But you're also looking at who's being involved and, you know, they really they're really trying to turn this into like a nightmare on Elm Street type of an ongoing series. And the it character, it's, you know, the the Pennywise, the clown character, he's pretty fucking scary. Even now, when people see a picture of Pennywise, the clown, some people are like, yo, that's some creepy shit. So if you continue to embody that and you tell some good stories with it, it might work. But again, it's something that you got to look at with much with much concern that's all i'm saying but we'll see what happens as always once we learn more i will share it with you guys so we're going to close out the show this week with something very interesting so david goyer did an interview and um david goyer is he's working on batman versus superman dawn of justice and he um he co-wrote the the film he he really put his foot in his mouth about something he said about Marvel fans and even about superheroes in general. Now, the reason I wanted to touch on this is because some people are saying that what he said, even though it's, it's, it it was very off color, very weird. Isaiah, he, he knows what I'm talking about, even though it was off color and it was weird. It just shows that comic book fans, even though they're up in arms about it, they're not to a degree. They're not as supportive because this particular character has had numerous books and the books get canceled because the, nobody buys them. So what we're going to get into what he said about She-Hulk. So he pretty much said that She-Hulk was a giant green porn star. That's what he that's how he summed it up. He summed up She-Hulk as a as the extension of a male power fantasy. And he said that, you know, the reason that She-Hulk was created was so that the Hulk can sleep with her. Now, if you know the She-Hulk character, you know that She-Hulk, Jennifer Walters, is the cousin of Bruce Banner, obviously the Incredible Hulk. And she got those powers due to a blood transfusion. So it's weird because, you know, what he said about She-Hulk was that, you know, she's... That she was put together for for you know for the Hulk's pleasure for the Hulk's amusement. He said, uh, and the thing I have to say is he goes, and I'm going to read this verbatim. I have a theory about She-Hulk. She was created by a man, right? And at the time, at that time in particular, I think 95% of comic book readers were men, and certainly almost all of the comic book writers were men. So the Hulk was this classic male power fantasy. It's like most of the people reading comic books were these people like me who were just these little kids getting the shit kicked out of them every day. So when they created She-Hulk, right, who was still smart, I think She-Hulk is the chick that you could fuck if you were the Hulk. That's what he said, verbatim. You know what I'm saying? She-Hulk was the extension of the male power fantasy. So it's like, I'm going to be this geek who becomes the Hulk, and then let's create a giant green porn star that only the Hulk could fuck. That's what he said. Now... Here's the thing that bothers me. This, this, first of all, is just an incredible lack 
of of recognizing characters and considering how entrenched you are in bringing comic books to the big screen the fact that you're speaking this way even if it's you know in in as a you know as sarcasm or as a joke the fact remains that it just it just comes off extremely poor and as a representative of dc you look incredibly fucking asinine look i understand Comic books are comic books are drawn for to show the highlight of human perfection. You know, all the guys are chiseled, all the girls are, you know, fat asses, big boobs, you know, abs. We we all know the deal. But for you to put together this this notion about this character and basically just shit on this character, it just it just really tripped me out. But what bothers me is that people were so angry and so vocal about it, but Nobody, nobody supports She-Hulk books like the latest She-Hulk series that's out is actually one of the better She-Hulk books. Now, now, the funny thing was he didn't even sound off just about She-Hulk, but he took a shot at like comic book fans in general. He asked his audience, because according to the interview that he did this before a live audience, he said, how many people have heard of the Martian Manhunter? And then some people raised their hands. And then the next question he asked was how many people that raised their hands have ever been laid? Now, the thing that bothers me about that is that you're 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 making money off of this audience and you're turning around and you're shitting on them. Now, again, the She-Hulk thing, people are all up in arms about it, but the same people that are up in arms about it, do you buy the She-Hulk books? Do you support the character and all the limited issues and all the runs that the characters had? I mean, it's, it's you know, the same thing with, like, Facebook advocacy, you know, where you're, oh, share this picture and, you know, one like is one prayer. It's the same deal. It's like if you're bothered about it, instead of going onto whatever social media account you run, take it to take it to DC, take it to David Goyer. Be like, listen, dude, how uninformed are you? that you can say this about this character. It's, it really was insert foot in mouth. Now, the beauty of it is that Stan Lee heard about this and Stan Lee shared his thoughts. And, and again, you know, it was, it was crazy. Um, the Washington post asked him about it and Stan Lee's only response was only a nut would think that, you know, Stan Lee told us, you know, he told the Washington Post that when he co-created She-Hulk, he was specifically looking for an intelligent version of the Hulk persona. He went on to say, I know I was looking for a new female superhero and the idea of an intelligent Hulk type grabbed me. As for her physical attributes, he knows that it's no different than almost every other saying that, you know, she's beautiful and curvy. Show me a superheroine who isn't. And it's true. Show me a female hero that isn't curvy. Think about it. In the DC universe, you got Power Girl, you got Supergirl, you got Wonder Woman, you got Zatanna, you got Black Canary. Um, you know, some of these characters are scantily clad, some of them are not, but they're still they're they still fit that, you know, that that, you know, that curvy uh su- female superhero dynamic that we all know and recognize. It it is what it is. It's something that's out there and it's it, it, it's going to continue to be that way for the foreseeable future. What bothers me, like I said, it's just the lack of, of being informed and just making some real asinine opinions, especially being that you're a representative of a property that's coming to the big screen. And on top of that, you have one of the main DC, you know, one of the main characters is part of the DC Holy Trinity, that being Wonder Woman. 
if you feel that way about Super, if you feel that way about She-Hulk, and you're saying that she was created so that you know the Hulk can have somebody that he can sleep with, are you gonna say that Wonder Woman was created so that Superman could have an ideal mate? I mean, the, the you know the the same rules apply here. They really do. I just feel that David Goyer made a a, a, a shitty shitty you know spectacle of himself and people are going to keep track of this and i think it's going to be something that's going to that's going to linger around for quite some time and especially if this film comes out you know batman versus superman and the wonder woman character does not live up to the expectations that were created with the book if the wonder woman character is a weak character on screen david goyer is going to be blamed i'm telling you right now People are going to be like, yo, this dude, he hates female characters or he looks at them as sexual objects versus them having uh, um, a huge role in the universe itself. So, you know, David Goyer, dude, read some comics, go pick up the latest run of She-Hulk, get informed and and stop, stop being an asshole. That's all I got to say. Don't be such a dickhead. You know, because DC comic fans are paying your, you know, they're putting money in your pocket. You know, you're talking about, oh, you know, how many people like Martian Manhunter and how many people have got laid? Really? Like, that's what you're going to say? It's ridiculous. The Martian Manhunter character is a very cool character that, if done right, would be amazing on screen. And for you to even say that, again, even if it was sarcastic or you were just trying to get a soundbite out there and do something, um, how's it going to say, you know? If you're going to if you're going to put if you're going to put something out there to create a soundbite to create controversy to create a buzz, don't do it at the expense of the people that put money in your pocket because it's going to bite you in the ass. That's all I'm going to say. Simple as that. All right. So with that said, that is actually going to wrap up this week's show. I'm surprised we went through it so quickly, considering that we talked about so many different topics. But in any event. You've just heard My Take Radio episode 229 for Thursday, May 22nd, 2014. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a guest on a future episode of My Take Radio, you can email me, mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. You can also hit up our feedback line, 347-815-0687. That's 347-815-0MTR. If you don't want your voicemail played on air, please make sure to specify that. All right, so if you want to keep up with My Take Radio, there's a couple of ways to do it. First off, you can always, you can always become a fan on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash My Take Radio. You can always interact on Twitter, at My Take Radio. Add us to your circles on Google+. Follow our boards on Pinterest. And, of course, you can always keep up with us the best way possible by visiting MyTakeRadio.com. But the best MTR experience is with the My Take Radio app. Available for $1.99 in the Amazon Marketplace for Android devices, in the iOS, you know, in iTunes for iOS devices, and of course in the Windows Marketplace for Windows Mobile and Windows 8 devices. You get 96K stereo episodes of the show, original content, mobile wallpapers, the works. Again, it's $1.99, cheaper than a cup of coffee, and all proceeds go to help out the show, get us better equipment, etc., etc., You can also help out the show by checking out the banners on our site, shopping through the Amazon MTR Marketplace, picking up the official My Take Radio t-shirts, and last but not least, using our Patreon and supporting the show that way. Patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash My Take Radio. You can do a donation as little as a dollar per episode. 
we will make sure we'll make sure to thank you on air and if you do a five dollar donation per episode which you can cap as as much as you want or as little as you want we will make sure to add a special credit at the end of the show for your donation so again uh shout out to javon lewis who uh donated on patreon recently we really appreciate it and that's going to wrap it up i will catch you guys next week on behalf of myself slick and the rest of the mtr family as always thank you for your continued support hopefully when we do the show next week i will be reporting that we hit 2000 downloads thanks for listening peace all right our outro this week we're gonna go with our friends from ocremix.org as always, those guys, they put out great tunes, and I'm thinking we're going to, uh, what do we got on tap this week? Let's go with, uh, I think we're going to go with some 90 street- seconds. There goes the English lady. I think we're going to go out with some Super Mario Brothers 3 pipes from ocremix.org. The artist is 7th Epic, and again, you can get that track and any of the other outro music at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. R G. See you guys next week.